Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy. Today, I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me as we are coming to you live from our studios on South College Street once again, and we have a lot of football to talk about with you today. Uh, we will continue to break down Auburn in California as the Tigers won a low-scoring game uh, by the score of 14-10. to 10. And, uh, again, a shockingly low-scoring game that we continue to digest as with this football cycle we're in, we've now got NFL Week 1 under uh, complete. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the big injury from Aaron Rodgers last night. We'll talk about, of course, the weekend in college football because we really only talked about Auburn and Cal but we have a lot of SEC games to get to from this past weekend as well. So a lot of football. And also Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will be on at 3.30. So again, NFL, Auburn Cal, SEC, college football, Justin Ferguson, a lot of good stuff for you on this Tuesday edition of the program. Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here. Brooks, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing great. It was a great weekend of football all around um, from college. Well, from really started on Friday night with a lot of great high school games around the area. And you went to a lot of great college football on Saturday. And then NFL uh, supplied a lot of great storylines uh, for the weekend, starting on Thursday night uh, with that, that Lions and Chiefs game. And then uh, all the way into last night with the the Monday night football game between the Bills and the Jets. God, it was so much great football action. Uh, it's so much to talk about uh, when it comes to all, all the, the gridiron uh, happenings this weekend. So can't wait to talk about it all. Can't wait to uh, continue to break down all the action. The Braves are still uh, battling for that NLE spot. They took the first game of the doubleheader yesterday, got the magic number down to four, and then lost last night. Gave it a good ride last night, though. It didn't look good early, but they, they were able to come back and, and kind of uh, make it interesting. And then they got two more with the, the Phillies tonight and tomorrow. And so chance to win the division in Philadelphia. And so it, it's uh, it's getting close there for the Braves. They've already clinched a postseason spot. Uh, but, yeah, great, great day to, to talk about all the things, all the sports. And uh, and can't wait to talk to all of our callers, as usual. Absolutely. And then Tom Peavy also on the show today. Tom, how are you, sir? Man, I'm good. Uh, I said it off the air. I woke up earlier than normal today, but woke up feeling good. Got some grocery shopping done. Got some running around, just adulting type stuff. And uh, yeah, feeling good. And uh, a lot of sports. Uh, obviously, the we're looking at highlights on the TV right here of last night's Jets Bills game. And yeah, stuff there to talk about. Some funny stuff with that that we'll get into later on, uh, as far as a certain bar uh, that. Uh, 
had to had to had a they promotion. put a, they had a they had a thing. <laughs> so uh but yeah, just looking forward to it, ready to break down some more of all this SEC and basically just break down everything from the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Again, yesterday the full show was basically just Auburn and Cal and again we'll have in Alabama. Uh and a little Alabama, yeah. <laughs> the whole uh, beginning. Uh from a couple of uh couple of callers. But uh so Brooks wanna get your thoughts on, on Auburn and Cal. Obviously we talked a lot about uh, yesterday it was hour number two we focused on the offense hour number three we talked more defense uh it's always a you know glass half full half empty depending on which side of the ball you're looking at and the when the the actual result of the game versus the expectations and versus how it looked Auburn ultimately wins uh plays well defensively but man, offensively, that was that was not what was anticipated to happen. Yeah, uh, and you know, the the you know, I, I think it, it kind of went against all you were where you were saying. We we thought last week after that UMass game that oh the offense you know should be fine. They should be able to score some points, and it's you know it's going to be the defense. Does the defense stand up to the Cal rushing attack? Does the defense able to hold their own and, and keep Cal off the scoreboard? Well. It was the reverse of what we thought it was because it was the the defense held their own. The defense was, uh, looked passable. Uh, they were out there and they shut you know pretty much shut down the Cal offense and, and played really well, created some turnovers. Uh, and it was the offense that just couldn't get it going. And it you know you don't want to blame the long uh, the 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 long tra- trip out there. You don't want to you know blame it on that. Maybe that played a little bit of uh, you know getting your bodies adjusted a little bit. Um, maybe that played a little into it, um, but it was it was something. It was yeah, there's a lot to work on this week, uh, and especially with a game like Samford coming up, you can kind of uh, you can kind of exercise some of those demons and, and get out there and and kind of try to fix stuff. Where it uh, against Samford uh, before you hit that next game uh, next week uh, with an 11 a.m. kickoff at Texas A&M uh, down in College Station. But, you know, it's, it, it's not encouraging for the offense, but, it, you know, Hugh Freeze talked about it yesterday. He spent a lot of time with the defense last week, didn't think he needed to spend a lot of time with the offense. Well, he's now, uh, after uh, yesterday's pressers, he said, I'm going to, you know, basically hunker down with the, with the offense this week and we're going we're gonna to fix some stuff. So, you know, it's really good to see that, you know, he's, uh, especially last week or when you talked about being with the defense last week, he was able to uh, take that head coaching role and not just focus on you know his side of the ball. He knows offense. He's not going to touch the defense. He went over there uh, and was able to help out the the defense. And you saw the adjustments there. The big takeaway though is we talked to uh, Eugene Asante yesterday, uh, and he talked about how the you know we talked about the defense playing play last weekend and about the you know the the kind of trash talking that Cal did during the week. Uh, and he said, yeah, that really motivated us. Um, the, I think the big takeaway after that is great. That motivated you. Don't let that be the only thing that motivates you going forward. If you know Stanford, not going to talk trash probably. There, you know, and even if they did, there's not a lot of you know. It, it's an FCS program. You're not going to take that as as uh, to heart like you took the cow. But still, you you look. You know, Stanford's not going to talk trash. You know, the SEC programs probably aren't going to talk trash because they know all the SEC how they're you know you stack up against other SEC programs. So you're not going to have that and all that bulletin board material next the, the this week and then going forward. Can the defense bring that same intensity 
going forward, not just this weekend, but into that, that Texas A&M game, into that Georgia game, into the rest of the SEC schedule that they brought this past weekend without having this off-the-field uh off the field talk that kind of you know help, that did help motivate the defense. Uh, I think that's a big takeaway on the defense side of the ball. Offensive side, you got to you know you, you got to fix some stuff. I know you know you, you, we talked about uh, passing uh, last week. What was it? It was only ninety four yards of, of passing this uh, in a, this this game, um, and it was you know it it wasn't great. It, it nine of fourteen for Peyton Thorn. Uh, it's not not big not big numbers, and you know you you want you really need to see that go up. You really need to see him get a little more confident in in the passing game. You really need to see the the play calling be a little more confident in him to throw the ball a little bit more. Uh, but it was. Uh, you got the win. That's that's the best thing you could say for the offensive side of the ball. You you were able to score enough points to get the win, uh, and you're two and zero going into Samford. Should be three and zero after this weekend, and uh, then you're undefeated heading into a conference game where you're you're going to have to you know buckle up and uh, have to have to uh, be better. Yeah, again, the offense really is what we just keep gravitating towards because which was, didn't seem it like bad. it was going to be the yeah. thought last week was it right well because it was it was bad but also because uh it was looking pretty good after one week and again it was against UMass and I understand that but uh you felt like Auburn had brought in enough things offensively with an offensive minded coach to be pretty optimistic about the offense and so to see it struggle the the way it did uh, was alarming. I think that, again, digesting it for another day, it was just clear that really the the lack of confidence in what they were going to do offensively in the passing game and with quarterbacks is the thing that will have to get fixed above anything else. And it's not even about – I would say it, there's layers to it. It's not even about – what kind of passes you're calling with Peyton Thorne or that sort of thing or how many passes in the package for Robbie Ashford. I think at this point it's about just the bare simple stuff of who's on the field when. What's the right situation for Robbie Ashford to be on the field? Because uh, Hugh Free said again yesterday, Robbie Ashford's going to play. Don't think he won't. He's going to play. And so how much and in what situation – needs to be stressed over and determined before the game. They came into it in the Cal game almost like it was still kind of a battle. Like, like I know Peyton Thorne ended up throwing more passes. I know that he finished the game. I know he was out there for more snaps. But it felt more because of the way they were reaching like it was almost still an open competition and that Peyton Thorne had had not locked down the job as much as a normal starter had locked down the job. And so that's why they were having Astrid out there in the middle of drives for certain sequences and and uh you know they had Thorne even early in the game run a couple times which again I understand that's going to happen from time to time. But if that's one of your first drives is incorporating him in the ground game, again, that tells me that they were trying every which way to open up and, and, and succeed in the run game in the hopes that they could run play action stuff, open it up, and then create easier passing opportunities, which, of course, never came. And so, to me, it was the mentality around the, the quarterback position 
uh, which was most concerning because I admit that 14, 15 pass attempts in that game, it's not even enough to have a strong opinion of what Peyton Thorne will be able to do going forward or what he is or what he's not. Uh, He made the necessary throws in the last drive, albeit I don't think he put on a clinic. I think Rivaldo Fairweather put on a clinic uh, with two huge catches. Uh, But I think that what Auburn's going to do against Sanford, and we're not trying to preview that game yet, is they're probably going to throw a higher percentage of the time than you normally would against an FCS team because they need to do things to instill more confidence in Peyton Thorne and have more confidence in themselves with Peyton Thorne based off of that game plan they produced against Cal. We talked a lot about it yesterday where it was kind of even hard to talk much execution part of it because it goes into, okay, well, is it a bad play call or is it poorly executed? That's always the song and dance with offenses that are not exceeding the way they believe they should. And oftentimes I even lean towards execution. Like I I want to be careful of criticizing 20 and 21-year-olds, but I also want to – see the thought of the coach and normally I agree a lot of times or more times than not with the thought of the coach and and thinking that it might work out this game was the opposite of that though this game was it was hard to follow the thinking or at least hard to agree with the thinking of the coaching staff and so there were only a few plays that felt like they were misexecuted I I think of uh, and we maybe talked about this on there at least we talked about it off there there was a reverse run where Auburn had gotten about a 12 to 15 yard chunk. It was a first down called back for a hold that didn't really need to happen. You know, that's a misexecuted play. Peyton Thorne sailing it over a receiver's head by a couple yards. That's that's a misexecuted play. I think there was also like a verticals concept at one point. I don't recall if it was into the first half or uh, early third quarter, uh, but it was kind of a third long. They ran verticals and that he threw it behind the slot when, you know, Brock Osweiler, fair or foul, was saying he should have thrown it outside. But either either way, he chose to throw it on the inside, and it was it was behind the receiver. It was not a catchable pass. So there was inaccuracies there. And like I said, that reverse run, there were some penalties. But other than that, and, and the fumbles, so, so turnovers, penalties, and, and one to two particular plays. But other than that, I mean, like the whole first half really was just, I don't know what they're doing, and I don't think they know what they're doing, uh-huh. and they're just trying to throw it up there and see if it sticks. And, I mean, it led to one of the weakest offensive performances we've seen. I, I, I'm i still hopeful. Maybe I'm just wrong. I, I still see a good scenario for this offense, but before any of that can work out, the coaches have to – find more confidence in their quarterback and in their plan. Yeah. Well, I said it yesterday. I mean, the game plan looked like blindly reaching into a hat filled with various running plays and just pulling one out. There, Like, no rhyme. It didn't feel like there was any rhyme or reason to what was being called. Uh, it didn't feel like there was any sort of a, a, a game plan of continuity that really felt like that we're going to do this and this is what we're going to do and then work on this off of this and th- – it just it, it felt hodgepodge, I think, is the the best way to describe it. Um, but then you get into the situations where it's like you, you feel like 
pass. You're ready to see the pass. You're ready to let's air this thing out a little bit. Let's take a shot. It's like right now is the time to take a shot. So you know you get a uh, you you force a turnover on downs. Like you know you force a turnover on downs. You get their defense right back on the field. And you're like, all right, here we go. This is where we're going to take a shot. That defense is tired. They just got back out there on the field. This is where you take a shot. Nope, we're just going to run it up the middle. And we're going to run it to the left. And we're going to run it to the right. And we're going to punt. And it's like, I mean, what are we doing? It's like there was just, there was no, there was nothing dynamic about anything that they did on offense whatsoever. Now, is do they have that in their pocket and they're waiting to pull out some dynamic stuff against maybe Texas A&M and are not really wanting to show their full hand in these first three games? Maybe. But when you realize that what you're doing is not working and you're in real, real danger of dropping that game out there on the West Coast, I, I think it's about time to start maybe pulling some of that dynamic stuff. If you've got it, you know, maybe it's time to do something here and try to open something up instead of hiding whatever you got until one of the big games. You should have lost that game. We've we've talked about all the stats and everything. I mean, they missed three field goals, uh, and you got to credit some of that with Auburn's defense with big third down stops that backed them up and made it even tougher. But still, most kickers those those were not like fifty eight yard field goals they were in the 40 range most competent college kickers are going to drill those kicks this kid missed two left and one to the right where he looked like he overcompensated so you got away with that um but the fact that you're you know you just could not get any first downs you you had zero uh not zero but very minimal uh yards gain and we talked about that stat that it was you know one of 65 uh, what was it? Turned it over four times and failed to record 15 first downs from 20 from 2018 to 2022. Teams that turned it over four times and failed to record 15 first downs were one in 65. And now think about how rare that is. Out of all the football games that have been played from 2018 to 2022, it has only happened now 66 times that an offense was so anemic that. You have to make a stat out of it, and that's what Auburn just did. And at at a certain point, you're you, at a certain point, you feel like you have to do something dynamic. What you're doing, vanilla-ish, is not working. You've got to get dynamic. You got to do something different, or you're about to lose this game. I mean, you should have lost the game, but defense saved the day. And I guess that's what you we could sit here and. You know, poor mouth the offense and, and question a lot of stuff, which is needs to be questioned, and especially moving forward if it doesn't change. But yeah, I mean, thank goodness for the defense; it keeps the L off the board. Yeah, and again, for I feel like we have to balance it. So now I will spend a moment on the defense um, because they are the reason that that Auburn won the game, and the amount of short fields they had to defend, and in a road environment too, like. That's what I talked about last week. I can't remember in reference to what national game it was. Uh, and, or maybe it was just previewing this Auburn-Cal game. But when you turn the ball over on the road, all you've got is yourself to pump you up. Like, if you make a poor play at home, you turn the ball over, yeah, there's going to be an initial shock value in the crowd. But after a play or so, they're going to get they're gonna come back. And they're going to help you out. They're going to be yelling, screaming, trying to disrupt the snap count, etc. But when you're on the road, you turn it over, 
you know, you don't have much. Now, I will give credit that, look, there was certainly a decent amount of Auburn fans. I think what was reported was about 10,000 or so. Yeah. Of the, uh, it was, I don't remember who said it was supposed to be sold out. It was not sold out, by the way. No. Not even close. It was like, I think the attendance was 44, 45,000 out of the, out of the 60,000 or so seats. So, I mean, we, they count each cow fan as three. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, it was, it was not sold out, but no. more cow fans there, but there was still a, a, a chunk of Auburn fans that was able to resonate a little bit. But the point was standing is to defend that many short fields, that many changes of momentum. Yeah, we can talk about Eugene Asante being awesome, Donovan Kaufman playing around the line of scrimmage, uh, the, the defensive line not being whooped, holding their own in the ground game, defensive backs continuing to stay on their men, didn't matter which quarterback, there was no passing game. We talk about all those things. But just the pure ability to keep fighting, keep those short fields defended in a on in a road game sure that will be the set that's going to be that would be like the second easiest place to play in the sec maybe third easiest only right. easier place will be vandy in terms of a crowd environment but you know that still to me just the flow of the game uh and the fact that you don't have your home crowd to stand up to that after that was the question of the team. Now, look, we don't know everything we need to know after two. Um, I think the Cal game showed you a little bit more than maybe thought coming into the season, but it's still, again, if you're grading out them compared to the eight SEC teams, there I'd, I'd take Cal over Vandy, and I might take Cal over Mississippi State. I think it'd be a close one, be close. Uh, but, th- but that would be it. And so Cal would be the sixth or seventh toughest SEC game for Auburn and so you know that the improvements will need to come but still I think that you learn that the defense does have something within them they do not have to be resigned to the fact that they have to be a poor rush defense or that they can't end up actually being net wise a a truly good defense Uh, because if I, I mean me projecting this team and I'm wrong so far I would have thought this offense will end up being pretty solid, won't be elite, but it'll be top 40 or so in the country, top 30, somewhere in there. But the defense would be in the middle of the pack in the country, be 50s, 60s, maybe even 70s, because while the pass defense would be pretty good, I didn't think the front seven would be any good. And so what you've seen so far is you've seen Eugene Asante step up, uh, you saw Jamie McLeod, who played a factor. You've seen Donovan Kaufman add himself. He's not really supposed to be in the front seven, but but he's coming up into the front seven. And so you've seen the defense be able to play well above the expectation uh, in that game. Again, it's one competent game. It's one valid game. So still got to monitor it. The Texas A&M game is going to be very interesting because A&M is, is functioning differently so far. This year than I thought. I thought they'd be a team that just is in need of a little bit more offense, a little bit more offense. But it was, it was in fact, the defense that let them down in Coral Gables on Saturday. But I, I still would tend to believe that the offense would figure it out. And so to see the defense be able to, to do that uh, was, was definitely encouraging. Uh, again, I think that it's unfortunate that we have to go back into a game that just is not going to tell you anything 
with Sanford. With again, with all due respect, I understand they're they're ranked in the FCS. Unfortunately, you're not going to get any questions whatsoever answered this weekend. Auburn can win sixty nine to nothing. It would be nice, and it would not tell you anything uh, you need to know about how it's going to go in College Station the next week or in Auburn against Georgia the next week. So that's that's the disappointing part of how the schedule lays out. Nevertheless, you have you're going to have a three and zero start, and yeah. that's not something to take for granted. The the big thing that I want to see against Samford and when it comes to the defense is start showing the consistency. I don't. What I don't want to see is, is you have such a great performance against Cal, then you get to Sanford, and all of a sudden now you've you've got a running back that's just running through gaping holes in your defense and things like that, and you're just sitting there going, where is this defense that we just saw against Cal? Why are they laying an egg against Sanford? Need to see that consistency because over the last couple of years, that's one of the things that just leaves Auburn fans scratching their heads is that there's times that – that offense would look so good and just so like pristine, and and then you'd turn right around the next game and you're like, where's that at? Same thing with the defense. You'd have games of just pure shutdown defense, and you turn right around and you're just like, I don't know, I don't know why this team plays different from one game to the next. So against Sanford, need to see the consistency, and that's the big thing. And obviously, great improvement from the offensive side of things to maybe show that maybe that was just an anomaly game. That what we saw against UMass that put up a bunch of points, a bunch of yards, is more of the consistent of what you two expect with the offense and not what we saw against Cal. Uh, fun fact for you about Sanford. Uh, so they are ranked in the NCS, like I said. Their quarterback, uh, Michael Hires, is his name. And, yes, I know the Sanford quarterback by heart because he did attend the high school I attended, although I'm not that young. So it was <laughs> very early in elementary when I was in high school. Uh, but he attended Briarwood Christian High School, so uh, that will be uh, fun to see him play inside Jordan Harris Stadium. We need to take our first time out of the show. When we come back, we'll go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Justin Ferguson will join us of the Auburn Observer. You're listening to the Wednesday or Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. And we are now excited to go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. And we welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, fresh and uh, back and hopefully well-rested after the trip to California. Justin, how are you this afternoon? I'm all right. How are you? Doing very well. So, a long trip out to Berkeley for everyone involved with Auburn. It results in a 14-10 victory, but obviously we're not talking just about the result this week. So, Ferg, from the very get-go, what seemed to be off with Auburn offense? Yeah, it just weren't, they weren't able to get in any sort of rhythm, any sort of you know, you know, explosiveness out there. I thought Payne Thorne struggled to throw the ball. He missed some opportunities early on, and, and in the first half, he was just really inaccurate. So. I had some opportunities to make some plays. Didn't really do it. Auburn put the ball on the ground a lot. And, you know, fumbles statistically are kind of a function of luck. Um, you know, you obviously don't want to put the ball on the ground, but where it ends up is usually just kind of a, a random, you know, kind of kind of roll of the dice. And Auburn lost all three of theirs, um, which, is, which is not normal as well. But, you know, it's just this offense is a really big-time work in progress. And when you're not – holding on to the football when you have some opportunities to, um, you know, make some plays on the ground, you need to definitely uh, do a better job of, um, you know, making things happen through the air. And I think the thing for Auburn was, you know, they didn't really get in any sort of rhythm passing. I don't think they – I think the coaching and the play calling didn't make things easy for Peyton Thorne. There weren't a lot of RPOs or quick throws in the offense uh, that can kind of get him in a rhythm, and then he missed the opportunities he had, and then – Auburn's wide receivers has got to do a better job at, at uh, you know, getting open. Because uh, if your name's not Javarius Johnson or, uh, you know, Jay Fair, you've had a hard time doing much of anything this year. Um, good news, though, for Auburn is that they got enough down the stretch and the defense played well enough to, to give them that opportunity to win it. Justin, when you, when you look at, you know, you talked about the lack of rhythm on offense. Talk a little bit about the, the use of Peyton Thorne and Robbie Asher kind of rotating in because I know, you know, uh, Hugh Freeze was asked about it yesterday and he said that really wasn't the plan going in. That's not how we want to use Robbie Ashford. But, you know, they were look they were just trying to look for something. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was trying to find a spark. Yeah, you know, Thorne's not playing well. Nothing's really, really happening in the passing game. You go with your running quarterback and see if he, he can spark something with that package that he's gotten. Didn't happen either. Um, you know, I think, you know, Auburn just, you know, one thing after another, penalties, turnovers, really just kind of cost them. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't really blame, you know, Ashford on it, and I wouldn't necessarily blame Auburn for trying something. Yeah, I, I, Peyton Thornton's still your quarterback. I think fourth quarter showed that that last drive, or that go-ahead touchdown drive, showed, like, why he can do that, kind of leads you between the 20s, throw the ball. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they were just looking for something that didn't work. When they went back to Thorne and he at least settled down and made some throws, you know, they, they, had, a, they had a good drive uh, there and, and, and did enough to win this game. So, um, you know, I think, that's, I think that's a key thing. Like, don't, don't assume there's some sort of controversy, but also don't throw out Robbie Ashford altogether because I think in, in different circumstances he can, be a, he can be a weapon for you. Uh, kind of looking at the running game a little bit, uh, Jarquez Hunter back out on the field. Did it look like he was a little rusty, maybe, or just you know not himself? But uh, but also, is that going to lead to seeing even more curious for guys like Demari Austin, and Jeremiah Cobb? Yeah, I, you know, I think he looked rusty for sure. Um, there were some plays where he you know, didn't make the right cut, didn't bounce the right way, and, and, and it really showed uh, out there. And I think I think the key key for Auburn is just if they've got depth. Why not use it? Um, Jeremiah Cobb looks great, you know, yeah. early in his career. 
Um, he is really doing a good job of, uh, of, of you know, showing a burst and explosiveness. Damari Austin, I mean, I thought it was pretty telling once Jarquez fumbled that ball. They gave the ball to Damari to end it, you know, to kind of put it away, and, and he did. Um, so I think if you're Auburn, you, you really like that uh, out of your running backs. Don't, you know, I think Jarquez will be fine, you know, give him some chances to kind of get back uh, into the swing of things for sure. Um, but, you know, you've got strength in your running game with your depth. So don't go away from that. Don't don't try to force anything on one guy. And, and, and you know, I think Auburn is showing that some of those other guys and those younger guys are playing really well. Justin, flipping to the other side of the ball, it, you know, going into last week, we were talking about coming into this game, oh, the offense looked good in game one. It's the defense that has to get better. Well, it flipped there. And, you know, we, we've talked about the offense get, not getting into that rhythm. The defense, they were out there. They were playing. They, uh, Eugene Asante talked about it yesterday that some of the trash talking from the Cal players kind of helped motivate them. Uh, it, talk about the defensive performance and specifically, you know, it, it seemed like the, the alignment was much better. And I know that was a big hot topic going in, uh, off of last week game yeah Auburn did a great job in this game on defense and it just goes to show you that you know college football you know things change from week to week this is a new team with a lot of new faces you're not really going to know what you're going to get from week to week from this team and I think in the positive aspect it's 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 what Auburn did on defense they did a really good job of of uh, being in alignment having their gaps which they tackled a lot better um, the linebackers in the secondary did a good job of tackling uh, in this game, Auburn's defensive line still not just like filled with a ton of like big time playmakers, but they're blitzing at the right times and, and making spots. Eugene Asante was the best player on the field. Period. Um, you know, phenomenal game from him. This this scheme, um, you know, really really works for him because he just see ball hit ball. You know, run as hard as humanly possible. Him and Donovan Kaufman have had great starts to to, to the season, and I think it's because this this system fits their games really really well. And I think for Auburn, you you come out of you come out of this game thinking, hey, uh, if we can kind of take care of what we can control on defense, um, we're capable of making plays. We're ma- we're capable of being a pretty good defense. And uh, you know, it was a really good sign to do that to, to keep Jay not from really hitting a huge play on you um, was was big. And like, yeah, I mean, you know, Cal missing three field goals—that's a huge reason why Auburn won that game, right? You know, you can't expect that every week, but. Auburn's defense put them in position to miss those field goals. Um, really buckled down and showed a lot of growth and maturity from from last week, and that's a that's a great sign for the future. Yeah. Now you mentioned Eugene Asante, and uh, obviously uh, co-SEC Player of the Week, and I mean he is a guy that everybody has been raving about from that performance. But just kind of breaking down a little bit of what he did out there that you saw, what was it about his game against Cal that made it just so special? Yeah, I mean, he's just, he just is so fast. I mean, he moves really, really well. He plays with a ton of energy, no let-up. He's got an extremely high motor, um, and, and it shows. In a game like this where you're going to be tested by a, 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 an offense that's going to play fast, uh, try to get a lot of plays out there on the field, and uh, on top of that, um, you know, try to, try to hit you in a, in a variety of ways, make guys go out in space, it was tailor-made for him, and he did an exceptional job. I thought of, uh, of of doing of doing the little things right in this game and uh, and, and just and just playing really really hard. I think the blitzes. I mean, he's gotten home on six of his nine blitzes this year. That is an insane pass rushing efficiency uh, for him. It just really really worked out, and I think this system has given him new life. And, and Auburn fans uh, should be really excited for what the future holds for that guy. 
Talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. So, Justin, as we heard yesterday, it looked like Q Freeze, or it sounded like Q Freeze was more in defensive meetings last week as opposed to offensive meetings that he was going to get with Philip Montgomery already had as of yesterday about game planning and maybe spend more time in the offensive room. And I, I know that fans are going to have this question, so I'll ask it of you. I, where are we going to be throughout the year on play calling? Do you expect this to be a week-to-week question of how many plays did Freeze call this week? Or uh, did did uh, he help game plan more with, with Montgomery this week? What do you expect to look have that look like this year? No, I, I don't buy into it. And quite frankly, anybody who's doing it's you know, just trying to, to gin up attention or, or headlines, really, I think. Um, you know, Hugh Freeze is going to call some plays. And he called that called that Fader Valdo the go-ahead touchdown. He's going to be involved. He's done everything he said he was going to do from the moment he hired Phil Montgomery. Hey, Phillip's our guy. He's going to call most plays. I'll jump in here from time to time. I'll do. I'll be involved. Um, but it is Philip Montgomery's show. And he defended uh, Montgomery yesterday. I thought Auburn should have done a much better job of getting Peyton Thorne in, in better positions, getting the ball to their playmakers they can trust. Those are that's on coaching. You know, you got to do better than that. But to sit here and think that this is going to be some sort of back and forth thing, where you know who's going to be the offense coordinator this way, who's going to be the play caller this way, it, it, it's just drama for no reason. Um, you know, this is unless Auburn just tail spins on offense. I mean, guys, don't overreact. It's week two. You know, I think that's the big thing to come. This is a young team, well, not a young team, a new team um, in a, in rebuilding mode. And what you've got to do if you're Auburn is just stay the course, um, stick with what you stick with what you know, and, and and know that this year is about kind of improving overall. And there are going to be bumps, there are going to be problems. So, Breeze is going to be involved. Breeze will call some plays at times. This is Philip Montgomery's show, uh, and Auburn just got to do a better job of coming up with better ways to help out. Uh, their offense because, you know, they, they're still learning what these guys can do on the field. So uh, looking forward uh, towards this weekend with Samford coming up, and, and this is just you speculating, just pure speculation on your part. Do, do you feel like that they may try to open up this passing game and really work on that, or do you think that fans are just going to have to be understanding that this is going to be a majority running football team and you're going to continue just seeing runs and kind of passing here and there? Just, again, your speculation. I think they want to throw the ball. I mean, this is that is Freeze and Montgomery's mo, and they want to throw the ball, and they just haven't been able to do it so far. They got to have outside receivers who can step up. Um, they've got to get better there. They've got to get the ball to the guys that they that they know they can trust, and it's just a handful of them right now. More regularly, Peyton Thorne's got to play better. I mean, he just did not play well until the fourth quarter of that game, and he knows that, and everybody who watched that game knew that. Um, I'll take you back to a, I'll take you back to the last time I saw Auburn look that bad, you know, on offense uh, in a road game in a week two, Clemson 2017. Auburn okay. looked dreadful in that game, sacked a billion times, couldn't do anything on offense. That's a week two game. Week three, they played Mercer. Now they turned the ball, they fumbled the ball a lot in that game. But if you remember correctly, Garrett Stidham goes like 32 or 36 in that game, throws for 300 and something yards, breaks records at Auburn. Uh, for a single-game performance. And the next week, they go to Missouri on the road to open SEC play, open up the offense, they take shots downfield, their passing game's good, they walk out of there with a win. Now, it's very, very different. Powell is not Clemson, um, and you know Texas A&M is not Missouri uh, you know, from, from that. But I think there are some interesting parallels in that you can find ways to let your quarterback get some confidence, get some momentum, get some good feelings about that passing game because – you cannot be one-dimensional 
and walk into College Station and have any chance to survive it. I know A&M didn't look great uh, on defense against Miami. They still have a lot of talent. They have a lot of experience coming back. They're a very, very good football team um, with, with a lot of talent. So you can't, you can't just come in there and say, hey, you know, we'll just run the ball and, and save it for later. They need those on-field reps. They need to work on themselves. I don't think, you know, Thorne will necessarily go full Jarrett Stidham in this game. But if you let, let him turn it loose and let him throw the ball a good bit and work on that, that's what a game like this could be used for in a, in a really good way. Talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. Justin, last one for you. And again, in regards to the Sanford week as they get set to uh, open SEC play the week after what kind of a similar question to the UMass week? What what kind of boxes need to be checked for Auburn this week in preparation for A and M and the SEC? Do you have any sort of confidence throwing the ball? Do you do you have guys you can rely on at wide receiver? Can someone step up? Can someone separate themselves? Can they show that they are ready um, to be relied upon? Um, I think if you're in the rest of the offense, it's hey, protect the football, take care of it, don't fumble it as much, work on that. Um, play a clean game. Uh, offensive line, you know, cut down on some of those penalties. You didn't play a bad game against Cal. You just got to cut down on some of those penalties and the mistakes that you had. Defensively, keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, show that, you, you know, Sanford's going to try a lot of different stuff. Um, Chris Hatcher is a uh, is an offensive guru at the small school level. He's been doing this for a very long time. Sanford's going to try to put up points on the board and, 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 and you know, just do a lot, of, a lot of crazy stuff. So, it's going to test Auburn in a different way. You've got the advantage. Just you know, play fundamentally sound football, and it might look like the UMass game where they may hit some shots on you, but you know that you, you know, ultimately are going to be able to win out. So um, the main thing for me, though, for Auburn is just can you show some signs of life in the passing game? This is an FCS matchup. No, you're not going to want to run up the score. No, you're not going to want to, you know, show everything that you've got. But this is a huge opportunity for Peyton Thorne and those receivers uh, to get going and also just find different ways to use Robbie Ashford and get him, get him plugged in. Justin, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. What can our listeners expect at the Auburn Observer here in the coming week? Yeah, you've got a, you've got a film room up today on Auburn's offense. A lot of stuff we talked about. We'll break that down. There are a lot of stats and some and some uh, and some film in there. That I wrote yesterday about Eugene Asante and Donovan Kaufman and kind of why they have been able to kind of pop off in this defense. Got a story coming up on Kay and Lee uh, tomorrow. Uh, and uh, there's some stats in that Kane and Lee story that I was stunned to find uh, today, so you want to check uh, check that out. Uh, we will preview um, the, the Sanford game and wrap up kind of our leftovers from the Cal game on our pro- podcast on Thursday. I got a 2013 look-back story, uh, the third in our series that we're doing each week. That's on Thursday. Mailbag on Friday. Observations, you know, recap podcast around the weekend. You're getting something pretty much every day of the week at 6 a.m. Central Time uh, if you sign up to the Observer. AuburnObserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. Sign up there. A lot of great stuff for sure. Justin Ferguson with us today on Sports Call. Justin, as always, time's greatly appreciated. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and we look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah, thank you, guys. That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. We're going to take one quick final timeout. Back to wrap up hour number one right after this.
call into the show. Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. We're done paying the bills. Now back to sports call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us on the program today. Just a couple minutes left in the hour. Again, ahead in hour number two, we'll have more extended thoughts on the rest of college football from week two and also get into some NFL thoughts about the game that happened last night and just a breakdown of week one. Uh, a little bit too, and we'll continue to do that on tomorrow's show when we have Joe Bartle of Rotowire in the five o'clock hour of tomorrow. Uh, so stay tuned for for that throughout the week. Tom needs some help with his fantasy team. Do you? You, you getting a bunch of injuries already? Uh, J.K. Dobbins was one of my starting running backs. Yeah. yeah, he's out with an Achilles. Uh, Travis Kelsey, my number one overall pick, he's still doubtful for, or not doubtful, but he's still questionable right. for week two. Uh, my tight end that I replaced him with, he is now doubtful for to play this this week. So if Kelsey can't go, I've got to find another tight end. Needless to say, it was a bad fantasy week. I was going up against Javon Cutler, and he had a big week, and I did not. Former sports call and co-host Javon Cutler. He, he was in the 140s. I didn't even crack 70. Last, last night when uh, Aaron Rodgers went down, it wasn't right then, but a couple uh, a few minutes later, I thought about it. I'm like, oh, no, is Aaron Rodgers on Tom's team? Oh, that would have been <laughs> And I, I, I ran to our fantasy league to check and make sure he wasn't on your team. He was on JJ's team, uh, as a matter of fact. And uh, I recall the draft uh, night because I was, uh, I was snooping around a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, unfortunately, JJ took Aaron Rodgers, and I told him not to take Aaron Rodgers. Of course, I did not know what would occur. Uh, Ryan foresaw the future. <laughs> not not claiming that, but uh, yeah. yeah no. Jalen Hurts is my starting QB. That's He's my QB one, one on our office league. Uh, now my other league I have is uh, Lamar Jackson, and he did not have a good yeah. week one. And I lost, Houston, that, which lost that one as well. Interesting. So definitely some, some NFL stuff we'll, yeah. we'll have to hit on a little bit later. Again, appreciate Ferg for joining the program. Again, that he provides the the calmer perspective there. Of uh, it was just game two. It was the first legit game Auburn had of the season. Uh, again, with all due respect to UMass, just not a, a power five opponent there. So uh, certainly a calmer approach. But I think uh, maybe some scars from previous coaching staffs also uh, coming into the the minds of some. And uh, nevertheless, it was still just. Uh, a surprising turn of events and uh, again credit for Auburn's defense for for hanging in there it's going to be interesting to see how the SEC plays out because the storyline of the SEC kind of struggling in some of these head-to-head non-conference games uh, kind of affects the whole league because you start to feel less sure about how everyone stacks up and if you wanted to make a anti which i'm not making anti-sec case but if you wanted to go in that route and say everyone's not as good as you want them to be 
then it's certainly in the West, you could go down the line and do that. Uh, you could go with every single team, really, that's had a bad half um, or played a lesser opponent closer than they should have for a half, uh, didn't – uh, didn't he, didn't win a big game that sort of thing so uh, it is very interesting to see what uh, how everyone's gonna the play out there and what will ultimately become of the of the schedule and how everyone uh, that is ranked or was ranked will actually if they'll actually even be formidable or not we are out of time for hour number one of the show but again stay tuned in hour number two we'll break down some of what we saw in the SEC in week two and also, Coming up, 5 o'clock, Sports Call 5 at 5. If you want to give us a call, the Orthopedic Clinic phone line is open, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Hour number one in the books. We'll be back right after this timeout. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Fun first hour of the program. If you missed any of it, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. Coca-Cola Taste the Feeling. And of course, the Sports Call podcast is available on SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and the Tiger Communications app. It used to be available on Stitcher, but to my knowledge, I don't think Stitcher exists any longer. So that is that is sad. Uh, but uh, so yeah, still a lot of great ways to listen to the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca Cola. With that, we're going to go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally or toll free one triple eight nine Tiger nine to join us today. Up on the show now, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Hey, it's good to hear uh, your voice again, guys, and uh, thank you for letting me on the air again, no matter what uh, I may say or not say that makes any sense. So, yes, sir. Uh, it's Brian, uh, Tom, and uh, Brooks, right? Yes, sir. sir. The three amigos. Well, let's get to it, guys. You know, uh, uh, Ryan, uh, I know off the air you shared with me a part of uh, Justin uh, Ferguson, right? He was on uh, earlier. Yes. 
and that you felt he uh, or he said he felt uh, a little bit optimistic. Was that uh, correct about yeah. the offense? Yeah, uh, basically saying that while it was clearly bad in game two, that there's a lot of time to, to figure it around. And he uh, noted the 2017 team uh, that, that struggled mildly against Clemson. He noted that, of course, Clemson was better than Cal, but that they went on, had uh, a big week against Mercer in the yardage department, obviously turned the ball over a lot against Mercer. And then the next week against Missouri had a, uh, a truly big week, opened up the offense, that sort of thing after – Again, a really bad time against Clemson. So that was the comparison he made. Okay. Well, Mr. Jeff Ferguson, if I could talk to you personally, I'd say these same things I'm saying to you guys. Hold on. Not so fast, Justin. I'd love to be that optimistic. Uh, but I may need to get on some heavy medication before I get that optimistic. Um, according to Mr. Jason Caldwell's stats here, um, Justin, you may want to take a look at this. This is what we've done so far offensively uh, throwing. We have completed – just 24 passes in two games, guys. A lot of people do that in one game. 60 of those passes, according to Jason Caldwell's stats, were to wide receivers. Of those 16 catches, guys, 12 went to two people. Want to guess who they were? Uh, Jay Fair and Javarius Johnson? Or Very good. Yep. All right, you cheated. No, I, that was... He, I mean, he wasn't looking. Yeah, nope. Okay, all right, that's it. All right, but then it gets a little bit more troubling. How about this stat, guys? This one is the really uh, one. I don't know if Justin's not looking at this or not, but uh, our passing game is right now ranked, do you want to take a guess or not? Probably about one-tenth uh, or something like that, 105, 110. You're getting warm, 123. Yeah. After only two games. And guess who's only worse than us? Only one other team is worse than us. As a Navy? Power, power five team. Oh, power five. Uh, power five team that's worse. Ooh, that'd be a good one. I, I don't know off the top of my head. I'd have, to, I'd have to think about it way too long. It's Nebraska. Okay. Nebraska. Now, then he went even deeper, and this is what really is uh, amazing. Because I say amazing because you know these are not stats coming from you know a Robbie Ashford, but they're coming from a guy who threw for over six thousand yards at Michigan State. So here's the stats that's even more concerning: Auburn has just ten passing plays of ten yards or more, which is tied again for guess one twenty third nationally. Seven of those ten passing plays have gone for more than twenty yards, which isn't bad. But we don't have one single passing play of 40 or more yards so far. Uh, then I see people like Mr. Sanderson at Colorado just swinging it away. Uh, other teams just having, you know, uh, bombs being thrown. And I thought, maybe unrealistically, that that's what we might see from Peyton Thorne. Okay, guys, walk me back from my uh, ledge of this ain't, uh, as Coach Free says, this ain't going to get it. So, a lot of the stats you just read, if not all of them, Steve, were volume stats, like the amount of explosive pass plays and the amount of yards and the amount of completions. Well, volume has to do with attempts, too. And they have not attempted a lot of passes. Uh, Peyton right, 24. Thor right, 24. Right, Peyton Thorne. Or, uh, yeah, I mean, Auburn has a team 42 in two games, and Peyton Thorne, 
uh, as a quarterback 31. I, I, I would caution that, again, that part of it, looking at raw statistical totals that are just volume totals when they've not attempted, is can be misleading. And while Auburn's passing attack has clearly not been good, I'm not vouching for them anywhere near the top 30, 40, anything like that. I don't think that we have the sample size to really confirm what they are as a passing team. We just know that they're not really willing to do that right now. Uh, and the UMass game was was fair because you weren't going to show a lot. Thorne did throw for a buck 41 on 10 completions. That's a really good yards per completion number. Uh, Holden Gurner had a long pass in that game. So uh, as a team, they had 200 yards on 14 completions. That's perfectly fine. That's actually really good. Uh, it, it's just that obviously when you've not thrown a lot, because uh, 25 times still in that game is not a lot. It's a, a fair amount. It's not a lot. And then you only have, what, 17 throws against Cal. Those those volume numbers are going to be low because the volume of everything is low, the volume of attempts and right. and, and everything. Everything you say, uh, Ryan Caesar, has all, all the merit. But I'm saying why? This shouldn't even be something that uh, we should be looking at, those kind of stats. Why? Because – Stevie there? Steve? No. There's Mr. Montgomery. Uh, oh. All right. So how do you get these kind of numbers with those kind of offensive gurus uh, as being on our team, or in our program? Well, I mean, they've taken a different approach to the start of the year, and it's fair to criticize that approach. I mean, it, it did not go well against Cal. I don't think you can criticize the, the UMass game. I think that went completely fine. Uh, we, But we've talked about that. It, it is – it was absolutely not a good game plan. No one on this show is saying that. I don't think Justin was saying that in his interview either. I think he was simply suggesting that this is fixable and that this is something that should not cause doomsday uh, because I think it was game plan. I actually think that there's an argument to be made. I made the argument yesterday it was more concerning because not only do you have to figure out if it's actually going to be good or not, you've got to actually get the coaches to come around and, and call better stuff and have a better game plan. But I think that if you want to take the optimistic approach, you could still take the optimistic approach and say, well, I still believe in the players. I just think that they got to be put in better positions. I think that once they are, they would be actually producing at a very good rate. You could make that argument. And so I, I, I don't think that I, I'm trying to, everything's a balance. Like we could admit that the game plan was terrible in week two and that the offense was terrible in week two, but still say that there is hope for the future. It is one game against one power five team. And so, look, there are obviously warning signs, but I think Tom would tell you too, he's a trends guy, and one game is not going to be a trend that you then dictate to predict the entire season. So it may very well be that this ends up being what Auburn is. They may very well have poor plans this year, not have enough execution, not have enough talent, all that. But also, you can't say with certainty because of one game that they still ultimately won and made the drive when they had to make it that it's going to be awful all year long. Okay, fair enough. Now... Tom, since Ryan mentioned your, your name of that trend, because I was in trends too, but, you know, patterns can be deceiving or not. Depending on, you know, remember, uh, numbers don't lie, only those who interpret them do. Sure. So here's a trend that's troubling, at least to me, after two games, that Jason Caldwell and Nathan King brought up. And I went back and watched it. Our wide receivers 
are apparently not doing very well when it comes to blocking and separating. And they mentioned several of the receivers who were either loafing, and they called that, they called them out. Uh, they weren't blocking very well, and they said Jaquez Hunter wasn't uh, very good at, at uh, blocking people out. And I know if you notice that, uh, Tom. Yeah, well, so – uh, some of the some of the receivers they're talking about are some guys that have that we've been critical about before, and, and that you know those those are the trends that point that that's kind of how those players are, and that's where you're keeping hoping that the recruiting is going to eventually get some guys in here that can do that. So, uh, but this was happening last year with the same so same players. So what about that's what I'm saying, Marcus that, Davis? What about Marcus Davis? He's in charge of the, the receivers, is he not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I'm saying, yeah, it, that's definitely it's a troubling. That is a troubling trend because it is something that we have now that that goes past a two game sample that goes into uh, over a season's worth of sample, and, and so yeah, those are things that have to be corrected uh, somehow, some way. You have to be able to correct that, and that's why the passing game, the 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 lack of being able to get open, the lack of being able to. Uh, run a route and and run it crisp enough and get off of it, especially if a if a defender comes up and jams them, to be able to get get off of that. that yeah, I mean those those are troubling things that have got to be corrected. But that's you know you hope you correct it this year, but you're also hoping that you can correct it by bringing in blue chip wide receivers like they have been uh, in in the recruiting and in the uh, transfer portal. Well, I guess my question is, and I've never been coached before, but. Surely these things didn't just suddenly appear. These uh, these troubling, you know, lack of blocking effectively uh, by receivers. Surely they must have observed and saw it during our scrimmage and practice during the fall and uh, camp and, and summer. Uh, what you know? What can we expect all of a sudden that this gets better? Well, you you hope that the players figure it out because the coaches. You, you can coach a kid to do something all they want to, but you can't be out there on the field and physically operate them like a puppet and make them do what you coach them to do. Sometimes, right. well, what about just put them on the bench and let somebody else take their place until they get it right? Well, because because in that when you look at those guys, the guys that may have some deficiencies in those areas, they are very successful in other areas, and you may have guys that are on the bench that are more deficient in those areas. So you look at a wide receiver and you're like, man, that, that dude, that dude really has a problem sometimes blocking and sometimes getting off. But man, when he does, he catches everything around him. If we can just figure out a way to get him to do those couple things, the dude catches it all. Um, you'll have some that are uh, the guy, the guy can't run, a, the guy can't run a route to save his life. And if they jam in there, he's just done. But by God, if we're running a play to the outside and we need him to block, he is going to put somebody on their butt. And so we've got to have him out there for that. So it just depends on the player and what the coaches are looking out for that. Now, if it's a player, if it's a wide receiver that is just badly deficient in every aspect of playing the position of wide receiver, then, of course, they're going to be on the bench. They'll eventually get moved completely out of the way. But these guys have things that they are good at that, that this coaching staff likes. They are just some things that they are deficient on. You can say that across the board in any position. There are some offensive linemen right now that there's some new offensive linemen that are that have very very good hand technique and the way that they work their hands. But then if you go and you look at their feet, their feet are complete garbage. You have other guys, other offensive linemen whose feet and their plant is or their base, I should say, their base is immaculate, but they don't know what to do with their hands. 
And so it just it depends on the receiver. I mean, they all have things they're good at, things they're bad at. They're not bad at everything. They're not good at everything. But they've got enough good that you have to have them on the field to be productive for you. Okay. I, I just uh, can't figure out how come, you know, the, these issues uh, weren't being corrected. And, um, you know, why can't we find people that, hey, okay, if you're struggling this badly, we're going to find someone else who can do it. Uh, better than you have been doing it uh, until we find somebody. Uh, you know, maybe I have unrealistic expectations. That may be it, right, guys? Because uh, all and then I see people like Peyton Thorne uh, looking around like, well, what am I supposed to do? Let's go to the sidelines. That's called damn timeout. Burns a timeout unnecessarily because I'm not sure what the play was. Wow. Well, and those, now listen. There, there's some things there that have there. There's things that with that coaching that the on the offensive side of the coaching. As far as being prepared and getting the plays in and figuring out what uh, personnel you want to have on the field, whether it be Thorne or whether it's going to be Robbie Ashford, or coming out of a coming out of the break of a quarter, you get ready to start the play of the first quarter or the the four, I guess it was the fourth quarter. You're coming out of that break and you have to call a timeout because you're not prepared with a play. Those those are the things that now you can absolutely go with the coaching staff and go that is unacceptable. That has to be fixed. That's Hugh Freeze's job to sit down with that staff, look at the film, and go, hey, dude, why do we not have a play ready? Why, why did we start the quarter with a timeout because we couldn't get a daggum play in? That is unacceptable. Fix it. Or I will start calling the plays, and I'll let you just sit there and coach during practice. So figure it out. That's absolutely on the coaching staff. Um but the things that go into just like the players and just the individual aspects of the game, yeah, I mean, there's certain things that these guys, they can be coached all they want to, but they've got to do it on the field. And then the coaching staff has to be able to do their job as well. Well, that said, guys, I'll give you your, your take. Is this going to uh, be successful, this two-quarterback uh, uh, approach? Or, or well, let's put that aside, the two offensive call players, Montgomery versus – Freeze! Is this another Gus Malzahn fiasco that we're looking at? I I don't think it is. I I I think that this is going to be uh, a situation that that Montgomery is going to be tasked with calling the majority of the plays, and I think Freeze is going to give his input. And there may be some that uh, a play that calls he may see something that he thinks different, and he'll try to override that. I hope it doesn't become too big of an issue uh, to where you have personnel issues so you have Hugh Freeze with an idea on something he wants to run which has a different personnel than what Montgomery wants to run now you've kind of got this tug of war on what personnel is going to be they've got to be able to come together and have a consensus on what personnel has got to be out there at what times and and do it that way Uh, if if there's a personnel set on the field and you have a different idea of the play it probably needs to be a play that you can work with that personnel and not have to be switching out while the time's ticking so that's going to the coaching staff to figure that out I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that this is not going to be a problem. Uh, I, I think that Hugh Freeze has been doing this long enough. He has been successful long enough that he'll get it figured out. And Montgomery has been a successful offensive coordinator, and the two of them have worked close together. So I'm going to trust that they get it worked out and that it's not going to turn into any sort of a disastrous fiasco. Okay, so let's go real quickly into the Sanford game. If there was ever a game, if I were ever to be a coach, that I would want to see a lot more attempts at uh, throwing the ball downfield, it would be against this team. Uh, but, guys, tell me, is that what you're expecting, or 
or are we just going to be vanilla? Uh, so honestly, I think there's, I think there's going to be aspects of vanilla offense with Sanford, just because again, there's probably things within that playbook that they have not opened up yet that they're going to finally show off against Texas A&M because you don't want to show all your cards before right, you. But I don't want to see running the ball. I'm no. sure we can run it down their throat. Okay, we did sure. against Cal pretty well. Yeah. But I, I mean, I want to see Peyton Thorne. Uh, hey, show us what you got, Peyton. I know. I, yeah, yeah, I know. But got to let me finish what I was going to say. Um, you don't want to show all your cards, but it is now time three weeks into the season that you need to start showing some of those cards. And, yes, Thorne, we need to show and need to see that we actually have a, a dynamic deep threat, uh, that you have the ability to stretch the field and that you have the ability to do that because you you at least need to – this is part of that chess match uh, against Texas A&M because that's film, right. that, that's film that they're going to look me, at. You, got, you know, Tom, you disagree with me. If I'm Texas A&M – and all I'm seeing against Sanford is still pretty much running the ball. Guess what they're going to do when they come up against us uh, and Peyton Thorne uh, or Ashford has the ball? They're going to sack eight, nine people on the other line and say, go ahead and beat us. Sure. I, I mean, that's what I would do because, I mean, I haven't seen – you know, I would not have seen through three weeks. I would not have seen anything that shows that there is a deep threat possibility there. So, against Sanford, they're going to need to start doing some of that to at least – show future opponents that, hey, they do have a deep threat. They have that capability to stretch the field and hurt you. And so we have to be wary of that. We can't just put all these guys up there and stop the run because they will hurt you deep. So in this game, I expect it to still be relatively vanilla, but they're going to start adding more and more to this. And I think you're going to start seeing them try to take more of those uh, deep shots and I think um, especially intermediate shots so that your passing game is not just all the little kind of dink and dunk stuff that they've kind of been doing. I think you're going to see some true shots downfield and some, you know, uh, medium-type shots that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily consider it a huge deep threat, but something that's going to stretch that field and, and at least put it on film so that these other teams will kind of have that idea that, yes, this is something that Auburn can do. Uh but they're not going to show everything. Uh, they're they're not going to open up the entire playbook against Samford. Uh, nobody well, nobody in their right mind would do that. I don't want to show them everything. But good God, when after two games you haven't had one single pass play of forty more yards, gee, yeah. uh, I think you need to do it against Samford to at least show a And M. Hey, we can throw a few pass plays of uh, forty more yards. No, I agree, and and I think you will. I, I think. I think this is that game that you're going to start seeing them stretch that field and try to take some more shots. Because I agree, if you're going to win in if you're going to win in the SEC, you have to be able to take those shots. And this is a perfect time to start taking those shots and work out any kinks that are in the game. Because Auburn is just going to overmatch Samford. I mean, that's just the way it is. So this is the time that you work on those shots and, and get ready to prepare for what's about to be a, a stretch of just brutality. When it comes to trying to get stuff done, now's the time you get it done and work out the kinks. Okay, and Ryan and Brooks and Tom, when would you expect to see the second, third string players in the Sanford game? Mine is no more than one series in the third quarter to begin the third quarter. And after that, we shouldn't see any more first string players. Yeah, I mean, that, that's ideal. You, you want to get maybe a couple of drives of the third quarter and then. Uh, I want to see a couple of drives. One, 
One series and that's it. Okay, well, one series, sure. All right, one one series, and then you let Robbie run it, or or you let uh, um, hey, let Gurner, uh, 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 let Holden Gurner come in and get some playing time. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that's ideal. Uh, yeah, you you would you would like to be up big enough that you can kind of get through the second half with without having to play your starters. That that's ideal. And, and honestly, I think against Sanford, barring just something crazy, I, I think that's what you'll end up seeing. Well, I'm saying right now, if I don't see a 28 to 35 nothing score at the end of the half, then something is really not looking good. No, I agree. Uh, I mean, they ought to be able to they ought to be able to score at will against Sanford and and not really have much problem. But things happen. Uh, you and know, there should be no damn turnovers. No, I agree. Uh, the not the run, the running backs of the running backs have got to do better holding onto the ball when they're getting stripped like that. And Peyton Thorne has got to not sell a ball ten feet over a guy's head. Okay, thanks for letting rant and rave. Appreciate the therapy hour. All right, real quickly on a positive note, Mr. Matt Olson yesterday uh, is one home run away from Andrew right? Jones's record. Yep. yep, from the Braves. Yep. Wow, and I thought it being uh, I never thought it been him. I thought it been Acuna, but um, he's he's there. So if he breaks that record. Uh, probably he can just continue it. I mean, how far do you think he can – what do you predict will be his final home run record? I think he season? can get to about 55 or so. Yeah. Uh, I think they got 20-something games left, so I don't think he'll hit get to 60, but I, I think he can get the mid-50s. Okay, so we don't count the playoff as part of the, the season record? No, no regular yep. season. Just regular season? Yep. Okay, well, that's quite an accomplishment. All right, guys, I'm worn out, so – uh, thank you for listening to my rant raving. I just, uh, yeah, maybe uh, I have been uh, a realistically optimistic. So I maybe I had uh, un, unnecessarily unreasonable expectations of uh, Peyton Thorne um, because I saw those passing yards and at Michigan State. I said, well, you know, they're not a two-lane. And I saw two-lane players, and they were throwing bombs away. I said, well, wait a minute, why am I not seeing that from our quarterback? That's what I was getting at, guys. Yeah. One thing to also keep in mind, one of the receivers that he had at Michigan State was Keon Coleman, who just lit it up for Florida State. That that right. also makes a difference. Auburn doesn't have a guy like Keon Coleman on the field right now. Okay. Hi, right, guys. Thanks for the uh, afternoon therapy session. I appreciate it as always. My time is way up. So uh, you guys have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, we'll try to be uh, less, I guess, uh, uh, concerned uh, by tomorrow. All right, Steve. We appreciate the phone call. Okay, War Eagle. Guys. War Eagle. That is retired Ward M. Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to take our first time out of the four o'clock hour. Back with more sports call right after this. call crew wants to hear from you give us a phone call at 334-887-3401 i'm jeff whitaker jr former auburn tigers defensive tackle and national champion and you are listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. We go right back to the orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show today, Jeff from Columbus. Jeff is with us. Jeff, how are you this afternoon? Doing great, guys. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hello. Did I hear Steve say, why, if somebody's doing bad, why don't you put somebody else in to do better? That's correct. Or something to that effect. Steve, have you ever played a sport in your life? I mean, what in the world is he saying? Steve, they don't because you may not have anybody better. And Brian Harson didn't recruit the best players in the country. So, um, you know, uh, but it's kind of weird to me. Auburn always says they have faith in, uh, how do you all put it, uh, faith in the higher-ups or faith in the coaches you know, that they know what they're doing, and it just isn't working out. I mean, y'all had faith when uh, you got Harson, right? You had faith in uh, – you got faith in Freeze now and all this stuff. And like you say, it's, it's young. Freeze doesn't have any players. He's, he's trying to build a team with, um, you know, uh, I call them free agents now, I guess. What are they called? Uh, portal uh, guys, transfer. yeah. Transfers, yeah, portal trans- guys, yeah. Okay. So, but isn't it safe to say – probably, and, and Ryan, just using your GM thing, okay, coming out of spring, Hugh Freeze didn't like what he had at quarterback because he was looking for a quarterback in the spring. Correct. And couldn't. And so then he waited as long as he could. It was down to, what, the transfer from Nebraska, was it? And this yeah. guy from Michigan, right? Uh, yeah, they had targeted Spencer Sanders, I think at least a little bit out of Oklahoma State, who ultimately went to Ole Miss. Uh, and I, there was there was somebody else I forget too, but yeah, Thorne was the one. Once he got in the portal, they moved quickly, and they had him within a few days. Right, and and he left for what reason? Just yeah, just didn't like the way things were trending there. Uh, didn't like that okay. Keon Coleman was transferring, and uh, I mean, just just didn't like the situation there anymore. So, okay, so he it wasn't like he was a second string quarterback. No, he's still going to be the starter. Yeah. He was still going to be the starter. So I would venture to say that he is probably the highest-paid player on Auburn's football team because you all needed him pretty bad. Uh, you Am know, I, sure? I, I have no idea what they all got at NIL. Uh, I certainly understand the thought there, but I, I, I really don't know. I, uh, I'm i trying to think of who, who would rival that. Um, I, mean, I don't know. He was, ne- he was needed badly. Yeah, and, and he's the quarterback, like, yep. Yeah, so they're not – I mean, he's all they've got right now. You know what I'm saying? I, don't you believe that if Gurner was even close with uh, – because Ash um, – excuse me, uh, Thorne is a senior, right? Can he play another year? He does have one more year of eligibility beyond this year, yes. Okay. Just so, one okay, more. Yeah. So, okay, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, that doesn't uh, – so he can play. I was going to say if Griner – or excuse me yeah. – um, Gurner, yeah. Thing? Holden Gurner. Gurner, Gurner. Yeah. 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 If Gurner were even close, you would think that they'd have him in now. If they plan on using him at all, you know, because they may go back into free agency next year. 
you know, or they got this guy White coming in, I believe, right? Yeah, so, Walker White, um, yeah. Walker White, you know, but, hey, uh, it um, it just uh, – you all knew this was going to be a tough year, and I guess Steve probably did get duped, you know. It, it, well, uh, you never can tell. Hey, Texas A&M, there's no telling what's going to go on there. I, I, right now, they're trying to pin some kind of scandal on Jimbo Fisher. I guarantee you, <laughs> <laughs> just so they don't, just so they don't have to pay that buyout. Uh, golly, yeah. I, if if I were him, I'd stay at home with all the doors locked and never answer the phone until I got out of there. But um, no, I just it, it it just amazes me that you know uh, Steve says stuff like, "Why don't we Why don't we try harder?" Or why don't we jump higher or run a little faster or hold on to the ball? You know what I mean? It it, it does. It gets me. And, and and to see him out on a ledge when he does it, I love it. That's why I like listening to the show so much. He, did, <laughs> he does it. But, hey, um, uh, uh, do, do you all think that Texas is for real? I mean, like – I'm, What's their next big game going to be? See, they don't have too many more. I mean, it depends on what you think of Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, they've got that yeah. a couple weeks, and then I think can I think Kansas State's pretty good. I don't think their national title, you know, playoff good, but I think they are right. a, a generically good football team. Uh, it, I think you'd be banking on Texas just having a whoops and having a you know a, a Texas moment, if you will. I do think, right. though, that it means – it clearly their ceiling is as good as about anybody's because if you can walk into Alabama and look like clearly the better team, teams just don't yeah. just do that. So I think there's certainly something to what they're capable of. Will they have a, a Texas isn't back moment? Maybe. But I, I think they're clearly capable of being a playoff team. I got you. And, man, man, here I am eating crow every time – I eat a lot of crow. I'm tired <laughs> of eating crow. But dang, I just—I think I just talked to you last week, saying, "Well, Alabama, how can you root against, vote against Alabama? They got all this going for them." But how does Alabama not have a quarterback? I do not understand. This guy's got the dimensions, but I mean, oh my goodness! That—I mean, maybe it is. Well, well again, like again, you, you said, go back to Jeff. Sorry to cut you off. You go back to their portal process. They got a portal quarterback this summer, and so clearly they weren't in love with what Milrow did in March in April. And so when you look at what they brought in, though, with Buckner, I mean, he was the failed quarterback in Notre Dame. He was not the successful of the two between right. him and Drew Pine. He was the failed one. So they did not exactly get somebody to change their equation. So they, even though they identified a need, they didn't really acquire what they needed, or at least it does not appear that way. And so they still had to go with Milrow and, I brought it up yesterday is I would have thought, too, that there'd be, hey, there's this, this is college. You can still develop players, and maybe he gets a right. little bit better. Uh, but so far, I mean, based off their one big game, uh, he has not got better at all in the passing game, and it's it's very doable to disrupt him and make him think too quickly. Well, and see, that's to my point, and that's what I kind of meant, is how do they not have a quarterback where they even have to get into the transfer portal. And I guess it is because of NIL or something, because uh, they usually have two five-stars, number one, number two quarterback recruits in the country every year. Well, well, they're about to. 
That's fair. They're they're about to. They're they're twenty twenty four quarterbacks. The number two quarterback in the country. His name is Julian Sand. So yeah. Uh, so they're well, about to fix that. But but yeah, this time they don't. How how highly recruited was this quarterback they have right now? Uh, I'll double check that. I mean, I I would assume he was not five star, but also I would assume that there was a a certain still level. They they don't take a whole lot of three stars. Uh, so well, I'll I'm, I'll double check I, it here. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I you're just, good. I, I just I just can't believe that they don't have at least a five star quarterback and a four star. Yes, so, or as you Auburn folks like to say, high high four stars and high three stars. <laughs> how you all? Get, <laughs> well, you all I, in star? I, I think it's fair to assess if someone is is ranked a little closer to being a five or a little closer to a three. I, I, I think that's it. fair. But Jalen Milrow, for the record, he was a four star quarterback. He was the 90th player in the country. He was the number 13 quarterback in the country. Uh, and all the rivals was very bullish on him. They had him as the number three quarterback. Maybe they split those up between pocket and, and scrambling quarterbacks. I'm not sure, but on three had him as number twelve. Two four seven is thirteen, and ESPN is sixteen. So he was a good prospect, but he was not an elite prospect. Yeah, and that just seems weird. And boy, man, for somebody his size, he can move pretty good. Oh yeah, he's an uh, awesome he's, athlete. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but um, well. Man, uh, I'm going to let you all go. Somebody else can get in here. I just wanted to pick a little bit at Steve. And then uh, I'm I, I'm really curious about this Texas thing. And, yeah. Because, you know, what, Herb Street comes out now. It's Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and Texas, right? After yeah. two games. The whole world is turned upside down, you know. So we'll see. And I'm sure if Colorado keeps going, they'll be up there and could be. Next week, who do they play this week? Do you know? Uh, they have a very easy game against Colorado State, so they'll be three and zero. Yeah, well, you said that. You all said that about the Kansas City Chiefs and the Detroit too. So well, those are profe- <laughs> professionals at least. They're they're all professionals out there. I heard you all picking on James. I was doing it myself. I go, James, what are you thinking? Detroit's not going to beat Kansas, Kansas City, and I'll be danged if I looked up and I go. What in the world? I need I need to get his phone number so I can get. I got. <laughs> I got. But hey, you all have a great day, and I'll be listening. And I'll talk to you all later on. Sounds good, all Jeff. Right. Appreciate the phone call. That is Jeff from Columbus joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Appreciate Jeff for getting in right there. We're going to go ahead and take one final timeout in this hour. Back with more from the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. And more thoughts on college football from this past week. When we come back, you're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9.
Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. Appreciate you listening, however you might be listening on this Tuesday. We now go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401, locally or toll-free, at tiger 9 Next up on the show today, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good in War Eagle. War Eagle. We've only got about six or seven more minutes left in the uh, the show for this hour, so I have to keep it a little more brief with you, but uh, go okay. ahead and give us your thoughts today. Well, actually, my, my first thought is, uh, do you think that Jim Harbaugh is, is actually going to make a comeback as the head coach for Michigan? Uh, yes, he uh, he is suspended right now, but he'll be coming back here in just a, a couple of weeks. It was, a, I believe, a three-game suspension, uh, and so he'll he'll be back here in a couple weeks, and and he'll return to his full full duties. So what? So for me asking, uh, what was his uh, three week suspension consist of? Yeah, so uh, he basically he's able to be in the building, uh, but he just cannot coach them on Saturdays, and it was because he lied to the NCAA when they were doing an investigation about recruiting during COVID. So. Uh, they, they, they did not commit major penalties in the recruiting world, but uh, his penalty was a major penalty to lie to the NCAA, and that's why he got suspended. Yes, because I, I was actually reading um, on that earlier, I think earlier today or yesterday. Probably I was reading about it yesterday because it hit my Twitter uh, timeline, and I was reading about what the NCAA, what the NCAA rules uh, consist of, and I knew I what I was reading about it on my timeline that the NCA was ruling that most well all coaches can like during the COVID um, years um, most coaches can't. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, most coaches can not um, do. They they can't not like you know go and recruit because that's not their uh, that's not their physical agenda of doing that. That could that is out of the coach's hands. That is in uh, regards to the uh, recruiters that go out and recruit, like go out to these high schools and they go out and they look at these high school students when they're playing in a high school setting, and then they'll ask their parents if they're going to, like, commit to a different, like, certain schools that they're uh, committing to come to. Yeah, so, again, the, the, the deal about coaches and recruiting, that was more so about uh, 2020 and 2021 when there was some COVID restrictions. There are mm-hmm. certain dead periods where you can't be contacting recruits now, and those are sometimes over the summer and usually a dead period in the winter and that sort of thing. But uh, really all coaches can recruit to some degree. Head coaches recruit, certainly position coaches and that sort of thing. They can make phone calls and texts and that sort of thing, be part of the visits. There are certain restrictions, but, again, they're, they're more so seasonal. And, uh, again, a lot of the, all the coaches really get involved in recruiting. Yes, because I know with Jim Harbaugh and um, I think Hugh Freeze is in that uh, coaching um, carousel as well, and I'm not quite sure if Nick Saban is in that uh, carousel as well in the recruiting uh, trail as well. Yeah, no, all all the head coaches get involved uh, in some form or fashion with recruiting. They they all get there and try to get some of those big recruits. Okay, and then my next 
question is about uh, last night's game uh, with Aaron Rodgers because I know he has a lot of age on him as well. And then I was listening to um, Undisputed, and I was actually seeing who will be the next quarterback for the New York Jets. And they were saying it could be – uh, it could be Tom Brady. It could be Colin Kaepernick. It could be, um, you know, other other uh, quarterbacks that are retired. But I'm pretty sure I'm leaning towards Tom Brady as well. So I'm just saying that Tom Brady might come out of retirement and probably play for the New York Jets as well. Yeah, I, I I think that would be fascinating. Uh, I certainly miss having Tom on an NFL sideline, but uh, I think he's content to stay retired. I, I don't even think, personally, I know some people may disagree, I don't even think if New England asked him to come back this year in the middle of the season, he would go back there either. I, I think he's retired. Uh, I think that he realizes that's just the, the where he's at in his life now. Uh, but the Jets, what they do at quarterback is interesting. I think they're going to rock with Zach Wilson if they can, but obviously he has had his struggles in the NFL, so we'll see if they think outside the box. Yeah, because I know they'll be playing my Cowboys this coming up weekend, and if well, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't make a comeback, I'm looking at like Colin Kaepernick because I know his name has been, been thrown out there many a times, and for me, seeing Colin Kaepernick when he first got into the league, it was so many allegations with Colin Kaepernick when he was uh, the quarterback for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. And it was so much that, you know, that was so under the radar with Colin Kaepernick as well. Yeah, again, I, I don't know if he'll be the answer either. I know that he did, uh, his agent re- reached out to the uh to the jets there but i i think that they would probably keep it a low profile if they bring in some big name or some some media story i think that would uh take the focus off of zach wilson trying to prepare to be their guy because i think no matter who they bring in there it would be to back him up unless he just plays downright horribly so uh i i think we'll see a, a lesser known guy get signed but i could be wrong we'll, we'll see what they do we're down to our last minute or so james do you have any final thoughts for us today um, the only final thoughts that I actually have for y'all today is I would like to see Auburn get a huge win this weekend against Sanford University at home for homecoming. I wish I was there in Auburn, and I'm going to actually watch that game uh, when I'm in Florida this weekend as well. All right, going down to Florida this weekend. Well, that'll be a lot of fun. Yes, it will be, and I'll uh, call y'all back uh, tomorrow and Thursday because I leave uh, this coming up Friday as well. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, we look forward to talking to you again tomorrow then. All right. Sounds good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Again, we are out of time here for hour number two of the program. But coming up in hour number three, we'll have a sports call five at five presented by Southeastern Land Group. If you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. We'll also try to get to some of the other games from this past weekend, both in college and in the National Football League, so stay tuned for that as well. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of this fine program. And again, got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me on this Tuesday. Going to talk a little NFL, a little college ball, just whatever comes to mind here. Probably go with a little NFL uh, just based off of what happened last night in just a moment. But before we do that, Want to get to the Sports Call 5 at 5, and it's presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden. At 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at selandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, a very well-planned out 5 at 5 we've got today for you as we're going to go through five of the biggest plays, maybe the five biggest plays in the Auburn and Cal game that led to Auburn winning the game. So let's go through them now. Number one. We start with Rivaldo Fairweather, and this is not necessarily the five most important players uh, plays in order because we don't again rank with the sports call five at five typically. But no doubt the Rivaldo Fairweather touchdown as the deciding points in the game meant a lot. Fade route left part of the end zone. Fairweather would make a big play earlier in the drive, which is coming up in just a second. But Fairweather's fade uh, was able to make a great play on the ball. Uh, ball could have even been a little bit higher, but Fairweather made uh, a, a wonderful play on it, and uh, Tigers were able to take that 14-10 lead, which they would not relinquish. Number two. Earlier in the drive, Rivaldo Fairweather, third and 17. This is what enabled the touchdown. Fairweather able to make a diving catch to the ground, kind of coming back to the ball. Not the best throw in the world, but also under duress and having to throw it down the field a little bit. Fairweather was able to make a great play. I think that also enabled, uh, as an aside here, I think that also enabled uh, Freeze to end up calling that uh, that fade play. If they had completed that pass to somebody else, I'm not sure that they go to Fairweather on the one on one on one there uh, in the fade. So I think that great play on the ball was like, hey, we need to we need to give Fairweather another opportunity to make this play. So his third and 17 is what ultimately led to uh, the touchdown drive. Number three. A big sack in this game came from Eugene Asante, who uh, had was all over the place, led the team with 12 tackles, SEC co-defensive player of the week, as mentioned earlier in the program. But his sack late in the game, I believe it was fourth quarter, it was fourth quarter, 
and it was the drive before Auburn scored the touchdown. It was 10-7. It would be Cal's final missed field goal of the day. But Cal had third and 10th Auburn 16. They were about as close as they had been uh, in quite some time. And Asante had an 11-yard sack as Sam Jackson. That made that field goal a 44-yard attempt, and it was missed. Now, say it's just an incomplete pass. Say it's a 33-yard attempt instead of a 44-yard attempt. Maybe the kid makes it. Maybe it's 13-7. Maybe Auburn goes down and scores, make it 14-13. But then what would have happened is on that last drive, after Auburn's Jarquez Hunter fumbled, when Cal was at 4th and 13 on the Auburn 18, they wouldn't have had to go for it. They could have kicked the field goal and, and gone up and, and won 16-14. Now, obviously, they missed other field goals, but that last one changed the dynamic of how the rest of the fourth quarter went. So that Eugene Asante sack, forcing an 11-yard loss, forcing a longer field goal, which was ultimately missed, a big play that goes under the radar in that game. Number four. Of course, big plays throughout were that. I kind of combined all of them here. All the Cal missed field goals. Again, they missed three of them, all from about 40 to 44 yards. And again, you make all three, you can do the math. Cal wins. If they even make two of the three, we'll see how the, see how it affects how the game's played. But again, based on just how the score was, two field goals would have been enough for Cal too. So the kicking game mattered a lot. Not that Auburn had a big role in it. Yes, they punted okay. Uh, but Cal's missed field goals were another enabler for how Auburn was able to come back there. And last up on the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Number 5. Was we go back to the first quarter, have you a little something early in the game, the forced fumble uh, that Auburn had to allow the first touchdown of the game. Donovan Kaufman was able to recover it. It led to an immediate red zone opportunity because of where the fumble was. It was another play that was reviewed. And Auburn was able to fall on that fumble. And then on a third down, find Jay Fair for the first touchdown of the game. So turnovers were a big story. Auburn had them, but Cal had a couple too. And uh, that one set up Auburn's first touchdown of the game to give them a 7-3 to lead uh, in the early part of the second quarter. Also, just uh, – and that's it. That's the sports call 5-5% five, five by Southeast Langer. But also wanted to take a moment too. I know this is not going to be like, oh, this is the coolest – two minutes in the world but i do want to say refereeing crew excellent job on saturday we criticize them a lot there's a lot of times that they deserve criticism there were three or four reviews in that game that were very difficult they did get one play wrong they got one play wrong live where they it helped auburn out they 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 blew the whistle dead. They should not have blew it dead. If it had, if not, Cal would have ran it back for a touchdown. So obviously it was fortuitous for Auburn. Uh, but that aside, they had they had it's not overdoing it. They had several fumble decisions because really all of them were reviewed. I felt like they all got the change of possession correct. Uh, the penalties, I don't really recall being having a gripe with really any of the penalties that Auburn committed. I felt like they did them. Uh, I felt like Cal was called for about the proper amount, too. So, again, it's hard to be perfect in this life. And, again, they messed up the first fumble in just that they blew the play dead on the field. Uh, but I thought that, overall, they did a really good job uh, administering penalties, getting reviews right uh, in terms of how you have to rule them, in terms of call stands, 
uh, confirmed, overturned, etc. So again, just want to give a, a credit there because those fumble calls can, sometimes in piles and stuff can be tough. But I, I felt like even the Jarquez one, which was originally not a fumble, it was overturned to a fumble, which obviously hurt Auburn. Felt all that stuff was done right. So uh, kudos to them. I, I'll say this: uh, even the one that they blew, um, you almost kind of understand it because i mean it was kind of bang bang from him yeah. stepping out of bounds on the ball coming out of his hands and there is also that aspect of protecting the quarterback because obviously there was a guy right in front of peyton thorn because he's the one that actually caught the ball so there's kind of that aspect of you're trying to protect that quarterback and get that whistle blown dead because you think he stepped out of bounds right there and he's kind of behind the play didn't really see the ball come out that's kind of one of those, yeah, in hindsight, you're like, yeah, you shouldn't have blown that one dead, but you kind of understand because he is trying to protect Peyton. He was stepping out of bounds. He was not in really good position to see the ball come out of his hands. So you do kind of understand why he would have blown that one dead. But I agree. I think uh, they did right. They uh, the, the fumble calls were exactly what they needed to do. They made it with their eyes, but then they went back, reviewed it, and the reviews worked fine. So, Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I really have a, a complaint with anything the sure that they did. And I just and, and the the holding call we've talked about the big holding yeah. call in Auburn. We had the big play. I mean, that was about as of egregious as a holding call out in the middle of nothingness. <laughs> like why are why Auburn's guy decided to wrap him up and do that? I don't know, but you know you can't blame the rest for that. I mean, that's about as holding as holding yep. can get. Yeah. So again, I. I I know that inevitably there will be a time later in the year where we're going to have to be licking <laughs> some wounds from bad officiating and, yeah. and analyzing it. But, again, I just want to make sure before we get to that part of the season, whenever it might come, oh, hey, I, I, I know, doing a good job. I, I know there's people right now listening to going, oh, Alabama game, because they never call Alabama for holding against Auburn. Right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, though, too, and we can talk a little bit more about Alabama game. Just a second. I, I have a take on Alabama's penalties uh, here as of late, which is um, it's a thing. Something that I think is is kind of yeah. it, it's it's an underlying it's an underlying issue that could be the sign of the bigger problem that's right. developing there. But I do want to make sure we spend a moment on NFL today, yep. and we'll talk a little bit about it tomorrow too. But about the game last night because. Uh, nor you know we'll we'll talk Falcons later. We'll talk the whole the whole NFL picture there. But last night was one of the more memorable injuries I can recall yeah. in the NFL. Now there's some been some memorable ones because it ended careers. You know back in, back before Madison became you know, advanced. Jeff Eisman, uh, sure, and uh, you know even to uh, an injury or an event like Demar Hamlin's last year, sure. Right. But the stakes of what occurred last night when Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles on his, I believe, fourth. third snap, fourth, fourth play. Fourth play. Fourth play because of the, I think they were counting the kickoff. But third snap, okay. fourth snap, whatever it was, first drive uh, of his Jets career. And I really, off the top of my head, when you factor in quality of player, changing of team, expectations that those two things met for a, a franchise that is a big franchise. I can't think of a more impactful and, and shocking injury than that one. It just, again, in terms of because of the movement involved there, we've seen the major injury. You know, Brady tore his ACL in week one, 
back in 08 or 09, right. one, one of those two years. So, like, it, it's it's happened to that magnitude of player, but I can't recall it happened to that magnitude of player when the expectations in the media were so high, the buzz was out there. The jet, I, I'll be honest, I, I hope people don't find this to be a hyperbole. When I was watching the first couple sequences of that game and hearing that crowd, it almost felt like a college crowd. Right. How loud they were yelling, J E T S, Jets, Jets, Jets. I was like, that's an intimidating environment right there. That That's something to be proud of. And then for that to happen on the first drive, I mean, absolutely stunning. And then there's this whole conversation too, and maybe Tom or Brooks, you know more than I do, but about the turf because it's not grass. Apparently it has new turf. Right? It's new turf, which they're claim- some people are claiming that's supposed to be better than the old field turf. Uh, because the old field turf is pretty good knowledge that it causes more injuries, and that's why the World Cup is going to have natural grass fields brought in for all these turf stadiums. Like, there's a whole discourse around even the playing surface, but I don't know what came to mind to you guys when you saw Rodgers go down and, and how all that played out. Uh, shocking. Uh, that, I mean, that was the biggest thing. It, it was just. Uh, Shocking and then just and disappointing. Uh, I think the shock is the first thing because, uh, you know, it is a guy. It's Aaron Rodgers. It's a guy of that caliber. We're not used to seeing season-ending injuries with those guys. That that just it's not a thing that seems to happen that often. So there's the shock value, but then there's that disappointing part of it. I'm not a Jets fan. I don't care. I don't have a dog in the fight with the Jets, but. I was really curious to see how this was going to develop and, and how Aaron Rodgers was going to do with the Jets. and are, Is he going to pull the Jets up out of the doldrums and actually make them relevant? I was very curious to see that, and now we're not going to know. Uh, at least this season, we're not going to know. So uh, it, it was the shock and then the disappointment. But, uh, I mean, just, yeah, crazy, and especially for it to happen that soon. That soon in the game, it's like so much hype on him. Uh, HBO had the hard knocks there yeah. in New York. Uh, the New York fan base, like you just mentioned, has been at an all-time high ready for the Jets. They've been putting pieces of their puzzle together where it's like, man, the Jets might actually be putting something together to be a contender here. And then three snaps into the game, your key cog is out with for the season with his, in, with his uh, Achilles snap. So, man, the Jets can't catch a break. Yeah, they didn't even wait for me to get done with dinner. Uh, I, I just finished dinner, walked over to the TV, flipped it on, cleaned, you know, just cleaned the dishes, and they're running through the, the replay already. Zach Wilson is already out there, and, and they're running through the replay. And, uh, you know, the ESPN's talking about, oh, my gosh, can't believe this happened. And then I'm like, what what, what happened? And you see, a, you know, you see the replay of him just standing up and then dropping to the ground. And then you see him come out the tent, get on the cart. That literally, the first thing I saw was him getting on the cart, and, and I was like, "Oh no!" Uh, and so, for, you know, four plays in, it, it's it's detrimental. Listen, I'm a Patriots fan, so last night's game was not the best for me to watch in general. Just watching, you know, those two teams play each other, um, was not excited about Aaron Rodgers being in the division and, and leading the Jets because, you know, you, you know there's potential there. You, you look at the roster that they've put put together, there's potential there. Um, but just from a player health standpoint and from a star standpoint, you want to see your stars in the game. 
Um, you you want to see you know you want to see Aaron Rodgers make plays. You want to see him uh, how he's gonna. Cause it it kind of got lackluster there at, at Green Bay. He almost felt like he didn't want to be there anymore. You know, in in the last few years, got to a new start. He seemed like he was happy. He seemed like he was ready to go, uh, ready to compete again and at, at a very high level. And so, objectively, you want to watch your star quarterbacks. You want to watch the the guys that move the needle on on Sunday nights and, and Sunday afternoons. That you're oh, this is appointment television. And for the, this to happen to go down. And Ryan, you brought up the good point. They've got five nationally televised games. Yeah, five this year. Five more. Yeah, we talked about that off the off the air. Yeah. Um. There is, and now you don't have Aaron Rodgers, and they that was probably the main reason they were put on that set many games is he had Aaron Rodgers in prime time and in these oh, big yeah. games. Yeah. And now it's Zach Wilson in prime time. Oh no, not, not as appetizing. Yeah. Not, not doing that five times. Not as appetizing, and so it's uh it's a big blow. It's a big blow to the NFL. Um. It, it's you know it it just it. It's it's not a great feeling when you when you look and you see one of your star quarterbacks uh, and and I know you know a few years ago Brady went down early uh, in when he was with the Patriots and was gone for the year Aaron Rodgers has had one of these big injuries before but it was a uh, broken clavicle I think that made him miss a lot of time and the you know the the Patriots objectively the Patriots weren't as good to watch when Brady wasn't there when it was you know Ryan Mallett running things or it was Matt uh, Castle, Matt Castle yeah, running things. Yeah. Um, it wasn't as objectively. It wasn't as fun to watch when uh, the when Aaron Rodgers was out a couple years ago at Green Bay. wasn't as much fun to watch the uh, watch them. It, when you don't have a when, when your star quarterback is gone, it it hurts your it hurts your team in a lot more ways than just on the field products. Yeah. Again, the, oh, go ahead, Tom. I, just, I, I, I pulled up. They, CBS Sports did a list of some of the more like impactful injuries, and I mean there there's some out there that. You know, really jump out at you. Uh, Randall Cunningham, uh, after four straight Pro Bowl selections in the uh, first game of the season, he tore his ACL. Again, at a time where it's much more impactful to do so. Right. Yeah. Um, in 1993, Dan Marino ruptured his Achilles in mm. the sixth game of the season. They were 4 and 1. But one that is on here that everybody remembers, especially in these times, Bo Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean that when when your the superstar hit. guy uh, gets out, I mean, and that ended his career. Joe Theismann's injury ended his career. Uh, you hope that Aaron's going to be able to bounce back from this, which I I think he yeah he's getting on up there in age. He but thirty nine, he'll be forty next right. year. Yep. So it may be more difficult to come back from an Achilles, but yeah, I don't think it's going to. I don't think it's going to end his career. I would say he's not going to go out like that. I would say that. It it is it is more a decision. It is still his decision. Like like that injury will not dictate he have to retire. Uh, it'll be about whether he wants to again going into his age forty season. Does he want to put in the time and the rehab and all that the recovery took to, to come back? And that was a guy that was getting pretty fed up in Green Bay. Yeah, it was no secret he mulled retirement at the end there in Green mm-hmm. Bay. How much of that was due to he just needs to be out of that situation or he's about done with the game, one could could differ on that opinion. But it is a guy that's molded in the past. And so I my only worry would be just is his desire to do that. Uh, is it there? Uh, and so he did sign a two-year contract. He lives in New York now. 
he he seemed like he really he was really leaning into it, really excited about the opportunity, a little bit re, rejuvenated. I think you see that with older guys. I think you saw that with Brady initially mm-hmm. when he came to Tampa. I mean, he he was starting to look a little old in his last year in New England. He went to Tampa, and he's like, yeah, I had three or four more years left. Totally, I don't know what you guys were thinking. I was I was totally fine. And with Rodgers last year, he was you know he started to look a little old. He he was not as good. Green Bay was not good. And I was still under the assumption I was going to rate him highly amongst the other NFL quarterbacks because I just felt like maybe he just needed to get out of that. I've uh, been there a long time. And we see that with, with NFL quarterbacks more and more. I was thinking about last night the generation of quarterbacks that's coming to an end right now. It's predominantly over. Rodgers is like the last holdover. More than them than not played on two teams. Now, it's still incredibly rare for quarterbacks to change teams in their prime of primes. Qu- guys can change teams and still be really good for a couple more years, and we've seen that. I'll go over the examples in just a moment. But we just went through this time where we actually had a lot of quarterbacks change teams at the very end of their career. We saw that with Brady. We've seen it with Rodgers now. We saw it with Peyton Manning going to Denver. We saw it with Phillip Rivers, who was a Charger forever, then ended up on Indianapolis. We saw that with Matt Ryan, who was a Falcon forever, uh, ended up on Indianapolis. Indianapolis was a retirement home there for a couple of years. Uh, And so we saw that with a lot of the guys. Really the only ones we didn't see it with were like Roethlisberger and uh, Eli Manning. Breeze to some degree, but also remember he was a Dolphin way earlier in his career, so he did play on two teams. But you had more guys the not there that ended up on one last team for a couple last years some of those situations ended up being really good Manning won a Super Bowl Brady won a Super Bowl uh, and so some of them went fine uh, but again they were very old and towards the end and so we've seen this a lot recently where these these Hall of Fame quarterbacks are going to uh, a team at the very end just getting just a little tired and wanting to just see what one different situation looks like for them. So I think I think Aaron was was very excited to do that. Sure. So I'm hopeful as a football fan, because I don't give a damn about the Jets in a nutshell. Rodgers I didn't even really like, to be quite honest with you. I, I didn't appreciate the, oh, you know, Rodgers is actually more talented than Brady. Okay, great. Did it, did it equate? Mm. How'd it go? How'd it go in the playoffs? How'd all that stuff go? So I don't need to rehash all that. I, I in fact, okay, did not like Aaron Rodgers. But I think it's absolutely awful what happened last night. And I hope that's not the end. That's not how you want to see greatness go out because he still was great, period. And I was really excited to see if he'd turn around an organization that has been the the butt of a lot of jokes for for a couple decades now. Uh, The the franchise of the butt fumble, the, the, the franchise of Rex Ryan, you know, the franchise living in Bill Belichick's shadow in the AFC East. Like, I was interested to see how that would go for a couple of years. And so I hope that is not the end. But, again, I was it was a shocking development last yeah. night. Kudos to them. That was actually a hell of an ending. I don't know if it was a great game overall, but it was a, a heck of an inning uh, where they run the punt back for a touchdown. and, uh, and well, you, had a doink, you had a doink field goal. Right, from uh, Buffalo's Buffalo point of view. Buffalo banks and, one in to tie it and send it to overtime. Yeah, so, I mean, it ended up being pretty good. And, Tom, I know that you wanted to mention the – uh, the bar story. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah, there's a bar in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that uh, because the uh, uh, the Bills were favored so much to to win this, that uh, this bar offered 
basically a free round like what they basically the bar was going to pay your tab if the jets won yep so all these people started drinking very heavily and ordering copious amounts of alcohol because they're (laughs) like heck yeah there's absolutely no way that uh that this is going to happen and then especially after aaron Rodgers went down and then aaron Rodgers goes down and it's looking bleak, and then things happen. But the craziest thing is there's a live TV, the news uh, cast, they were going live in there talking about that when they ran the punt back. And, I mean, there were people that were beside themselves because <laughs> the Lord only knows what they ran up on a on a tab thinking that the bar was going to end up paying it when the Bills won. All of a sudden, the Jets win, and now they're sitting on this tab. And, I mean, there were people that were just like – in just complete shock that that happened and i just thought it was funny that that's that gambling thing right there you know yeah. you think you you think you've got it hit and then all of a sudden something happens and in that case you just gambled away your your bar tab but i can imagine you're sitting on about a 200 hundred dollar bar tab and you're like yeah easy money bar's gonna pay my 200 oops nope they just returned the punting overtime and now i'm owing 200 Hope my bank account's okay. <laughs> I mean, it <laughs> was cleaning some dishes. It was the absolute worst case scenario for those customers and the best case scenario for the bar because, again, oh, like yeah. Brooks said, to, I mean, to go out on the first drive, that means for two and a half to three hours, everyone thinks the Jets are going to lose. There is no way they win a Zach Wilson led game. And the offense had been dead in the water basically until the fourth quarter. So, I mean, there was nothing really in the middle of the game. The Jets were not leading that game right. throughout. The Bills, did they did end up with the turnover because Josh Allen had a, a fumble that set up the Jets for the for the, the leading touchdown there in the fourth quarter. You know, the, there was never a time until then that the Jets were even leading. Right. And, and so, it for all the world, everyone for two and a half hours is just thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to slam one back as quick. As quick as I can, move on to the next one. Hate it for Rodgers, but yay me. Here's yeah. beer. But the one thing I'm concerned about, though, is I wonder about the bartenders because if people are running up tabs, that means they're not tipping the bartender on the tab right then and there. Yeah. They're going to wait until the end. Well, now all of a sudden I owe a whole bunch of money and I'm extremely angry at what just happened. Bartenders may have gotten screwed on that. They might have had a rough night. They yeah. might. The bartenders may have had a rough night trying to close people out that were angry and not expecting to spend that much money and not going to tip. That's going to be, that's going to be, I think I heard that that promotion will run for the first 12 weeks of the year. So that's going to be interesting because the jets will not be one in 11. Like they're going to win a few more, but they're absolutely not going to be 12 and 0 or 11 and one. So how will the bar come out on that? People are going to be pretty gutsy going in there, drinking a lot. I'd be, (laughs) <laughs> That's gonna be a. Uh, I, if I were that TV station, I'd park there every weekend. Uh, but now here's a question: as far as that game goes, we've talked about Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. It, does this spell trouble for the Bills? I mean, this is a Bills team that people have talked about as, as again being a, a potential uh, contender for the Super Bowl, and now they lose this one. Josh Allen does not look good. He's um, got to stop turning it over. I think right. The rest of it was fine. Like, their defense was fine. The Jets didn't score a touchdown without the aid of the turnover. Right. Uh, and then the, the punt return in the, in, the, in the overtime period. But, I mean, Allen was – he th- had four turnovers. He threw right. – Jordan Whitehead, former Buccaneer, by the way, uh, three interceptions in that game. One player, three picks. 
And then you have the fumble to set up the Jets at your own 20 or what, 25, whatever it was. Uh, he actively lost in the game. And so if you're a Bills fan, you can write it off and say Allen's not going to do that often. But he has had some turnover issues. And there are questions because this is, I think, year four right. of relevant Bills, uh, of Bills having some expectations. And so to get over the hump, they're going to have to find something that freshens it up a little bit because it already feels, uh, I think, uh, I can't repeat it, but but Josh said same old bleep uh, from him in the postgame presser. And it's like, yeah, it kind of is. Uh, the team's pretty good, but there's not one thing that puts it over the top because Josh Allen does not put it over the top most times or not. It's actually, people might hate this comparison. It's probably a little too early for this. But it kind of reminds me, and I know his play style is a little different, kind of reminds me of Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers was statistically really good. The Chargers usually had some pretty good teams. And then something just would go wrong in the postseason, or maybe if the regular season they had big expectations that year, they'd go like 9-7, and seven, be very vanilla, and just not, just not be, be overly impressive. And I wonder if it's going to get to that point, Josh Allen. Again, I think it's a bit early for that. That's not where I'm saying it is. But if this goes on a couple more years and they can't keep getting over the hump, getting over the hump, like there's no denying he's a really good quarterback, but there's a certain limitation that doesn't allow him to get to where they absolutely need to go or to the highest place in the sport. And so, again, I know the skill sets are differently, but just remind me of Rivers because Rivers would always be like, oh, he just threw for 362 yards and they lost. Well, he just had a 4,000-yard passing season, and they were 8-8. Eight and eight. And it's just, you know, it, it felt like it kept going on and on like that, and I wonder if that's going to end up being the, the case with Allen. But you're right. I mean, Buffalo has – they have the expectations to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, they, they certainly do. Uh, I, I know Kansas City and Cincinnati have them too, and maybe one or two other teams in the AFC, but uh, Buffalo is certainly part of that equation. We're going to take our next time out of the show when we come back more of your phone calls on the orthopedic clinic phone line also a little more football talk as we start to wrap up this tuesday edition of sports call tiger 95.9 we need a timeout. sports call will be back after this quick break I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom PV, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. Time to go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show, Real Deal from Coosa County. Real Deal is with us. Real Deal, how are you this afternoon? All right, man. I'm still in that cool again. Uh, you know, you know we were talking the other day, you know, and I'm going to say this list about Auburn. You know, nobody's really... Picking over not to do men, you know. I talked to Alabama fan every day, and he said, "Well, y'all didn't look too good." I said, "Well, you know, nobody's really looking for us to do anything, and that's what I like about Auburn, which the game did look ugly, 
but we don't have any pressure on us like Alabama, you know. And and this same fan was telling me, well, you know, what about your team? I said, I'm not going to worry about our team because, you know, ain't nobody really picking us to do that anyway, you know. I'm sort of at a wait and see stage, you know. We still got new players got to get used to your playing with each other and, and sort of, you know, get, get into all this, you know, chemistry together. But I've been listening to all these calling shows and, and they still, you know, talking about, you know, Alabama going to run the table. I really see about three more games they're going to lose. And everybody said, well, Miro is going to get it together. If if you wouldn't let get a pass then, you're not going to instantly turn around and turn to a, a all-star quarterback. And see, I told you in that first game, Against Texas last week, all they got to do is slow down and run. And, and one more thing I forgot to tell y'all that I thought about. They put four quarterbacks to start. They either went in the first or the second round in the, in the NFL. See, Alabama dropped off after Bryce Young left. He carried that offense on his back. See, Bryce Young didn't have the wide receivers that uh, Tua Tungalou and all of them had. He didn't have those guys. He don't have them now. And uh, I think it's going to be a long road for Alabama. It ain't just Nick Saban is losing the edge. They just don't have it. And then I noticed... They don't have these big dudes and running backs like they normally have. And uh, I just think the SEC is going to be a, a, a real tough sled this this season. And I know you probably got other calls. I'm going to hang up, and I'm going to get you guys' comments. Yes, sir. More Eagle. More Eagle. Appreciate that phone call. That is a real deal from Coosa County. Joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line as we get a little closer to the end of the show now. Uh, I, I would say that, again, I, I definitely agree with the point that the SEC is not flexing muscles right now and is not looking the best. I, I, I mentioned yesterday, I'll, I'll mention it, maybe I guess we'll, we'll have time tomorrow to get to what ultimately happened this past weekend. The SEC is not moving people around from other conferences like they like they used to do. And this is really the first time, or well, at least one of the first times, that that's really become true. And, and so to that point, that makes it a little bit harder to predict. But also what I would say is, and why I'm not convinced Alabama is just going to go ahead and, and fall apart and have uh, an incredibly disappointing season, is that I still think that based off of – all the talent Bama still has. Look, it's still true they've had top three classes forever. Like, that does not change. It is true that they've maybe not done as much in the portal as other teams, but they still have top three classes that these kids are all playing. They've still got a ton of pro players on there. And because it's still Saban, are you sure? Like, because I would have said LSU would be a candidate. You know, maybe Ole Miss. 
you know, maybe A and M the way they played them the last two years. But are you are you incredibly confident that those teams are going to go do that when when Bama still has a lot of those teams at home? Uh, I know they just lost at home. I get it. You say, well, if they lose one time, they can lose again. Sure, but that doesn't mean it's easier to go play in Bryant Denny than it is to host Alabama. Like there's there's still something you gain by being at home. So if the rest of the league is problematic, yet you know creating an opportunity for Auburn to have a better than expected year, does it not create the opportunity for Alabama to hang on with a good year with a team that maybe is not as good as their standard is? That's that's what I would I would throw out there with that. Again, I again my everyone knows I I genuinely hope Alabama loses every game. It won't happen. I genuinely hope they do though. I I just don't think that they are as far gone as as some of us would hope that they They're are. Not. They're not. And, and again, like I would have said, LSU's a great opportunity for them to lose. LSU didn't look good week one. They've got their own problems to work with. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss, yeah, they won. They pulled away in the fourth quarter. They couldn't run on Tulane. Like, like Quinshaw Junkins was getting stuffed by Tulane. So I know that someone like Alabama can do that to them too. Now Ole Miss can try and figure something out. A&M but hasn't looked but good. I'm just saying, based off the first two weeks, sure, Alabama does not look quite like Alabama. I, bl- I understand that point. I agree with that point. But I'm not sure that anyone else out there looks primed and, and ready to dethrone them, especially when most of their important games are in Bryant-Denny. Yeah, the the crazy thing, I mean, I I do think Alabama's got questions at quarterback. I think Milrow is going to be uh, an issue for them. Uh, The the craziest thing, though, is is their secondary. I mean, was that just a bad game, or is their secondary not good this year? And Which is unusual, because that's what Nick Saban coaches. Um, But, no, I I agree. Alabama is not too out of it or anything like that. Alabama – may win the rest of their games. I do have them losing to Auburn at the end of the season, remember. But uh yep. They may Bold prediction. They could very well win out the rest of the way. I don't see any reason why they couldn't. I think Texas is Texas is just a pretty darn good team. Probably a little better than Bama this year. And uh yeah, I don't, but I don't think Alabama's too far gone. Everybody's uh gnashing teeth and jumping off the ship right now like it's sinking, but I think they're going to be fine. Well, it's and look, I understand the wanting it to be first on the scene of the of the right. of the crime. You know, like th- that's what you do with with programs that are great or players that are great. Max Bro- Kellerman did it for years with Tom I, Brady. Yeah, I was just about to say, Brooks, you know it better than most. I mean, how many of you out there thought Brady was done five years ago, or three years ago, or six years ago, whenever, eight years ago? Like a lot of people want to be the first on the scene of a of a great failure. And if you keep throwing darts at the dartboard every single year, one of the years you're going to be right because it won't last forever. But that's why I want to see it again before I declare that because I still see the pathway for them. Sure. The, the thing that's problematic to me about Alabama, the, the thing within the thing, and we, we've talked about Milrow, bad defensive performance in the secondary, all that. What's troubling to me, if you want to make a point that something's wrong, I look at penalties, and I've alluded to this earlier. Nick Saban built this off discipline. Yes, there's great recruiting. There's great There's great every. Okay, we get it. It's all great. All this NFL player, all these NFL players get it. But within that was discipline. Discipline in your assignments defensively. Discipline in blocking. Discipline in not making mistakes at quarterback. 
running the football. That's how it became Alabama. Then they they tweaked it. They opened up offense, all these great receivers, all these great quarterbacks. Then they became an offensive juggernaut on top of the already great defense. That's how it had a part two once they got Lane Kiffin and they started to change what they did offensively. But within all of that, it was still disciplined. But last year you saw them have – a lot of penalty issues. They were having double-digit penalty games. And what happens with penalties is the root of a lack of discipline. That's what penalties are. You 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 lined up incorrectly. You had the wrong technique. You had to panic to defend somebody or to block somebody. And they're having all kinds of these. It's in every form. They're having procedural penalties. They're having holding penalties. They're having defensive pass interference penalties. They're having all kinds of penalties. And that's what was plaguing them a lot throughout last year. And we get into this year, we get into this game against Texas, and even on their home field, even uh, in a big game where, again, a lot of hype around it, all, all the things that go into that, they had another really bad night with penalties against Texas. And again, in all forms, even at home, procedural penalties, which are just getting lined up correctly and not false starting and knowing the snap count. Alabama had 10 penalties for 90 yards on their home field. Texas had four penalties for 40 yards. And that's not a refereeing thing. That was a a warranted thing that happened. And so Bama had 10 penalties, 90 yards on their home field in a game that mattered immensely. That's the game within the game that if you want to formulate something too, that's a sign that there's slippage in coaching or in the in, in the program. To me, those penalties being a consistent factor again for a second year tells me that whoever's there, whatever players are staying, whatever players being recruiting, recruited, they are not having the same discipline that the other 10, 15 years of Nick Saban Alabama football had. They they are not playing under the same tight-lipped, tight-coached uh, moniker that has been getting them to their success. So, yes, there's quarterback issues. They've got the number two quarterback coming in next year. He's probably going to be pretty good. They'll have wide receivers. They, they will have – top three classes they're still going to have those things as long as Nick Saban is there but what the slippage could be is a lack of discipline getting some of the little things wrong for the first time in a long time because again that's how you had to be the first seven or eight years of this that's why the mobile quarterback was was troubling to them because they were so assignment oriented and it's very hard to account for a quarterback that could run on top of throw and so that's why these scrambling drill drills and all this was somewhat conducive to beating them because it's the one way you could make them lack discipline. Is it's the one thing you could make them not have an answer for all the time with just assignment football. And so that to me, those penalties, that's a sign that that is spreading now and discipline is becoming lacking in other areas. So that's my two cents. We'll probably get back more on it tomorrow. It'll be a topic throughout the year, proclamations of time of death, that sort of thing. Uh, but that's that's the two cents. That's what actually, beyond even the things that are unique to this team, like a Milrow struggling or a pass defense, is the penalties. That is the thing that I'm focusing on there. About out of time for the show. Time for a nightly TV guide to wrap things up. Our show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. 
Nightly DV Guide brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer Brooks. What do we have? Well, I'll tell you what we got, Ryan. A couple movie picks for you this evening. Your family pick of the evening at 7-3 on Freeform Sing. And Matthew McConaughey is one of the voices. You've got um, uh, Reese Witherspoon is one of the voices. You had a big uh, big name cast for this uh, animated movie, but that's 7-3 on Freeform. 8-20 on HBO, too. You want to cry a little bit? Uh, the Spectacular Now. Well... Maybe you want, maybe <laughs> I, maybe you need to. The spectacular now. Uh, Miles Teller, Shailene Woodley. Uh, it, it's a it's a pretty good movie. I watched it a couple years ago. Uh, I think you'll enjoy. Folks out there would enjoy it. Uh, but it, it is a little little bit of a tearjerker. And then lackluster sports evening for you. So we'll throw it out there. Braves already playing over on Valley Sports South with the Phillies. Uh, more baseball on tonight. Six o'clock on TBS. The New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox from Fenway Park. Then seven thirty tonight. The U.S. Men's National Team on international break taking on. Oman. Uh, they beat Uzbekistan 3-0 on Saturday afternoon. Now they'll take on Oman tonight, 7:30. And then later on tonight, if you're looking for some college volleyball, uh, 8 o'clock on ESPNU. Number five, Nebraska or number four, Nebraska taking on number five, Stanford. So a big clash uh, in volleyball here on ESPNU. And that is your nightly TV guide brought to our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks, and thank you for being on the show today. Look forward to hearing you out the high school coaches show tomorrow night at six o'clock, right here on Tiger 95.9. Until then, hope you have a great. Uh, rest of your evening, sir. See you then. And Tom Beebe, thank you for being here again this afternoon. We'll see you again tomorrow. I'll be here. And that will do it for the show today. Again, we want to thank Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining the program and, of course, all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.